finally here. 2021 training camp for the Cincinnati Bengals and the rest of the NFL, but also our big show, our Charity Fest show with a lot of special guests, a lot of things going on tonight. We're going to go a little long, hopefully not a marathon show, but we're going to go a little longer than usual because of the special guests and a lot of different things going on. I'm Anthony Cazenza, joined by my buddy John Sheeran. Big night tonight, my friend. Big night, a lot of weeks, a lot of days, man hours planning this, uh, mostly by the guy next to me, Anthony. It was his, his brainchild, and I was um, I was able to do some stuff with this, but you know, this was kind of the coming together of this idea that we had for this, and it really all kind of came together in the past week or so, but I'm really glad that we're finally doing this right at the commencement of Bengals training camp, and you know, it's finally here, and this is going to be one of the longer shows that we've had. Like we, we, we used to go long back, like the first year when I when I was on the show, we used to go like an hour and a half consistently, and then we kind of cut it down to an hour. But you know, if we have to go more than an hour and a half, I, I have the vocal cords to do that. If you're up to it, Anthony, I hope I'm up for it. I hope I'm up for it, and this this should be. We're coming at it at you a little earlier than usual if you're watching the live feed. So uh, hopefully you you jump on, and there's kind of a longer time tonight that you'll be able to join us. In case you haven't heard, we've got Ken Anderson joining us in just about 25 minutes or so. So he'll be joining us. We're going to talk Ring of Honor. We're going to talk 2021 Bengals. We're going to talk about his foundation, the Ken Anderson Alliance. And then at 8.15 Eastern, we're going to have Ken Riley II join us as well to talk about his father's legacy, his father's induction into the Ring of Honor. Um, so we're really excited. We, we haven't had him on the program yet, and we've, we're very excited to have him on the program. We're going to talk some training camp. We've got all kinds of stuff, too, for, for you donors here, because this is about giving to charity. So what we decided to do, and John was kind enough to say this was my doing or whatever. John was a major help in this. But what we've done is we've identified the three players' charities, uh, Anthony Munoz, the Munoz Foundation, the Ken Anderson Alliance, and the Ken Riley Foundation, those are the charities we'll be helping out tonight by getting your donations. We've put the GoFundMe page there that's that's live. The donations are, are live, so you can submit those. We've got all kinds of stuff to give away. We're going to give it away a little bit at random, but we've got T. Higgins rookie cards. We've got Joe Burrow rookie cards. We've got all kinds of stuff for you guys here. I got one bum arm, so I can't show it showcase it properly. Uh, I guess right here. We've got all kinds of stuff. We've got Ken Anderson Alliance sunglasses, beer koozies or soft drink koozies, towels, all kinds of stuff. We've got Cincy Jungle shirts on the line. We've got OBI apparel that we're putting together for you. So donate, 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 John. I'm, I'm going to put the link out there. You created the GoFundMe. You want to tell us a little bit more about it? Absolutely. So, yes, there's a live GoFundMe um, labeled the 2021 OBI Bengals Podcast Charity Fest. It has all the information about the three charities, the organizations that we talked about. And just so you guys can just get a quick synopsis of what these foundations are about, the Anthony Munoz Foundation has a mission to impact the lives of greater Cincinnati children mentally, physically, and spiritually through scholarship funds, character camps, and leadership programs. The Ken Riley Foundation was created to financially aid Central Florida students in their pursuit of advanced education. The foundation supports several programs and entities that directly improve the economic stability of children through education. And the Ken Anderson Alliance is also based in the greater Cincinnati area. It's a nonprofit corporation with a mission to provide adults with disabilities opportunities to develop and sustain lifelong relationships, independence, and self-esteem while contributing to the larger community. 
100% of our proceeds, of your guys' proceeds, will be donated equally to these three organizations, obviously in honor of the Ring of Honor, um, the first class of the Ring of Honor, excuse me. We made a soft, unofficial goal of $2,021 in honor of the first year the Bengals win the Super Bowl. You know, however much money that we raise, it, we appreciate it all. We appreciate you guys' support for coming out, supporting us, and supporting these these foundations. If those charities, if their missions aren't enough to incentivize you, if Anthony's torn left arm in a cast is not enough to generate sympathy points, I was willing to put one more incentive out there for you. If we, if we reach our goal of $2,021 by the end of this show, I will pick at random one of these little hot sauce tablets, shot bottle, <laughs> whatever, and I will chug it. And if you guys don't believe me, the Scoville units for these hot sauces are a million. That's about what a Carolina Reaper and a Ghost Pepper are. Whoa, and I will do my man. best to chug it live on air and suffer for your entertainment. If that is not enough, please consider donating to support these three <laughs> very fine foundations and to see me go red in the face in about two hours time. <laughs> well, there's no dunk tank that you can, you can get John and I with. Uh, so maybe I guess that's the next best, best thing, but we're trying to incentivize this thing. This, this is money. Not, not at all to John and I, not at all to the show or anything. Every single red cent will go to these charities. And that's, that's the point of this. We want to, we want to thank those Bengal players for what they've done, not only as football players to the Cincinnati Bengals, but also with the great work each of their charities are doing. So please, please, please donate. Again, we've got all kinds of giveaways. We've got Joe Burrow rookie cards, T Higgins rookie cards. We've got uh, Jamar Chase rookie cards, a couple of those. We've got Orange and Black Insider apparel, Cincy Jungle apparel, Ken Anderson Alliance swag as giveaways to random donors that we want to send out to you. And we will alert you if and when you do win something like that. But uh, a lot of cool stuff to give away. We're just trying to do uh, do you guys a solid by donating, but also honor these charities and these players for everything that they're doing. So um, appreciate those who have already donated. I see the Orange Arrow, who I was just on his show. Um, great guy there. He just donated. A couple of others have donated. So please keep it coming. We want to reach the goal and divvy it out to those three charities. But before we get to Ken Anderson, before we get to Ken Riley the second, when we've got a lot to get to with them, obviously, John, you were present for the team's media luncheon at the kickoff of training camp. Training camp did kick off on uh, Wednesday here with everybody available. There were, you know, some other players reported earlier, but you were there. You spoke to Zach Taylor. You spoke to Duke Tobin. First of all, before we get to those clips and talk about those, were were you there with Mike Brown as well? At the Were, were you at the table with Mike Brown? Uh, you mean, was I eating at the table or was well, I like... Were you there at the, the round table questions with him? Yeah, so... Um, there was there was like two or three tables that were combined, and there was one isolated table for Mike and Zach and Duke to sit at and answer questions. And there was like a set number of chairs for those for those tables. And there was like a rush, a mad rush for like all the official media members to take those chairs, and it essentially became musical chairs. Like me, James Rapine, and I think Lindsey Patterson. We were all kind of like like left out. We had to just stand up or like sit behind. The, all the tables. So I was basically, I was hovering over the shoulders of both Paul Daner Jr. and Ben Baby as they were all professional and, and set up with, with their laptops and their computers and everything. So me and James, we kind of stood behind there and, and kind of did our work from, from the back row. 
Well, the reason I ask is because Mike Brown just seemed to be on fire uh, <laughs> yesterday. He was just throwing out jokes and one-liners and stories, and at least from the videos that I could tell. And then he, Jay Morrison relayed a very interesting quote saying, basically, my kids are afraid of me, but my granddaughter is not. And that's what's got the ring of honor and all these things going forward. Some of these things that he was kind of hard to move forward with. Um, apparently, Elizabeth Blackburn, his his dear granddaughter, has his has his ear on these things. I, I had the pleasure of talking to Elizabeth after it was all said and done. So, like we, so the the media luncheon, you know, we t- talked to the personnel members, the play or the, the coaches and whatnot, and then there was this big lunch with with nice steak, mock turtle soup, um, which all right. It, was please, please excuse my ignorance because I, I've heard the phrase mock turtle soup be associated with the Bengals. And I think especially specifically Mike Brown, but I didn't know it was like legitimate. I thought it was like a metaphor for something in terms of his frugality, but it was just, I guess, turtle soup, but not actually turtle soup. It tasted like a weird stepchild of Skyline because they serve it with like these crackers. Like, so it, it was fine. I enjoyed it. I didn't even know what it was. Until I realized, oh, this is the mock turtle soup that's going on. So after the whole like luncheon type situation, I was like getting my stuff ready to leave. And Elizabeth Blackburn, Blackburn walks up to me and says, hey, I got to talk to my man, John. And I don't know why this was the first initial reaction to this, but I was genuinely surprised. And I said, oh, my God, you remember me? And she's like, well, yeah, of course I do. We, we talked three months ago. Um, but that was really cool. Like. Because I, it would have been completely understandable if she, you know, said, "Oh yes, of course, John. Yeah, we talked three months ago." But no, she recognized me and knew that I was going to be there, and we chatted for a couple minutes just about everything that's happened over the summer. Talked about the response to all all of the campaigns that they've been pushing over the past few months, and it was it was really nice to get to catch up with her. That's awesome, and that just coincides with the recent you know, poll and everything mentioning our website and our, our podcast. And I mean, they've got a pulse. These, these people have a pulse on what's going on with Bengals coverage and uh, it's, she's, she's on top of it. It's awesome. Before we uh, talk a little bit more about this, I want to play the clip. Uh, These are some clips that um, John, uh, John was able to get at the media luncheon here so we'll, we'll talk about this is a quote from Zach Taylor and then a quote that he grabbed also from Duke Tobin. We'll talk a little bit about that. So I'm going to play this right here for you. Yes, because you can take the next step. You know, you can then reference all the game clips that he experienced last year uh, and continue to build off of that. So I think it is important in year two having the same guy. Um, You've been through a lot of ups and downs together. Um, You've installed the offense many times now at this point. So now he can speak more freely because he feels like he's got ownership in the system. It wasn't just being introduced to him last summer, getting a feel for it in live game reps. Now he's had a chance to go back, reflect on that, study it this whole offseason. He's got his own opinions, which is great. You want that from your starting quarterback. And so those have been really fun discussions just in the last couple of games as we've been meeting, the last couple of days as we've been meeting. Well, it's three more than we had last year, so it's going to be uh, it's going to be a welcome, you know, to actually have some tape to look at, when, you know, when you're making late waiver claims or you're trying to build your practice squad or fill in your practice squad. And so... Um, I, I think three will be enough uh, for us to make a complete evaluation. Um, normally, the fourth preseason game was a game uh, of uh, everyone that's going to get cut. 
you know, playing against everybody else is everyone that's going to get cut. And so it was nice to have that in the film bank, but uh, ultimately I think three games will be fine from a personnel perspective to, to get a feel for what the guys are doing uh, so we can make the moves that we need to make. So we want to talk about this briefly. Uh, we're going to have our special guest, our first special guest, Ken Anderson, joining us in just a minute here. But uh, I, I want to talk about this real quick because these were questions you asked of Zach Taylor and of Duke Tobin specifically. The first one was about rapport with Joe Burrow in his second year with you know the head coach quarterback tandem. And then, of course, the preseason and how that is set up this year in a unique way. So, John, just a little bit of uh, additional insight that you could provide on those quotes and uh, your thoughts on them and their responses. Yeah, of course. So Zach Taylor walks up and of course the first three minutes are just filled with Burrow content. You know, how do you ease him back in? You know, what, what is the protocol? What, what is the, the plan in terms of getting him to be feeling more pressure and getting ex- used to those experiences what, without putting him at risk. But I was honestly curious about from his perspective, because you know, when he was with the Rams for two years, he had Jared Goff for both of those years, and Jared Goff took a big step forward in that offense, in the McVay offense. But ever since 2018, you know, he's gone from Jared Goff to Andy Dalton, and then Andy Dalton to Joe Burrow, and then he had to deal with a Joe Burrow injury and had to have Brandon Allen start for a handful of games. But this is the first time that he is in the same offense. He's coaching the same offense with the same quarterback from the year prior. And I, I know that the injury has, you know, put – a wrench through through some things this offseason. But for the most part, Burrow has done basically everything in terms of you know being out there on the field, going through the install, and obviously being a part of the meetings and whatnot. And I was curious if that made has made a notable impact in terms of like getting ahead of schedule. And if that if that is actually a difference compared to just you know going from Dalton to Burrow and having a rookie quarterback last year and Burrow kind of picking it picking it all up on the fly. So I think that is an underrated aspect in terms of having this offense kind of hit the ground running and being an explosive above average unit that I think we all expect it to be. It's that continuity factor that, you know, he he hasn't had that experience since really he saw with McVay and Goff in 2017 and 2018. Obviously both of those years were really successful for that offense. So I, I think in terms of just evaluating Zach Taylor in general, right, this is his third year. This is when this is like his team. I think he was asked that question too. If he feels like he has more ownership over the roster because this is, for the most part, his guys on the roster, but also now like he has the same quarterback from the year before, you know, you don't have to go through install just for the first season. Again, you, you have those, ex- those shared experiences that he talked about to go back and reference to. I think that is a, an underrated aspect in terms of projecting what this offense is going forward. I obviously, you know, the, the key that a lot of people, a metric that people arbitrarily use is that three-year metric of coach quarterback together, that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know that that's we, – we don't know if that's how long of a leash Zach Taylor's going to have at this point if struggles continue. But it sounds like they're on the same page about a lot of different things. It sounds like um, they are moving towards something, you know, building something really great. They have the, the vernacular down and whatnot. And, um, you know, so that's, that's a, a good – it sounds like he's really positive and really confident about the direction there. And then, of course – Duke Tobin talking about preseason. I thought it was kind of an interesting remark at the end there with um, week week four of the preseason, basically saying you're playing guys who are being cut. Uh, I thought I thought that was just kind of a blunt statement that I didn't really expect to hear from him. Uh, I don't know about you, John, but that that kind of struck me a little bit. Right, and that's something that hasn't really been talked about that much with 
or hasn't been addressed to I think coaches and players enough. Like, I mean, first of all, the return of the preseason, like they didn't even have it last year. So obviously that's a plus. Having three games is better than having none in terms of evaluating the bottom half of the roster. There's a reason why not a lot of undrafted or college free agents made rosters last year because they're they just didn't have experience. They didn't have anything that they could reference to outside of just training camp practice. So now you're kind of returning to normalcy there, but you're losing that last game where it's for the most part, bottom of the roster guys competing against other bottom of the roster guys. And it's those types of games that lead to the performances like of like Damian Willis, like solidifying himself to be even a starter in week one. There wasn't that story, at least for the Bengals last year. And now we, we can have a chance to see if something like that materializes this year. But I think from his, from his stance, like, it's not that big of a difference going from four games to now three games, but I, I will be interested to see, does the second game become what that third game used to be? Like, is that, is that the new dress rehearsal? And it's the third game. It's like the new fourth preseason game. So I guess you're just losing one like intermediate preseason game that used to be like a week one or week two type setup where it's like the star starters play, maybe a drive or two. And then it's mainly just other guys getting their feet wet. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, interesting remarks by both Zach Taylor and uh, Duke Tobin from questions that you fielded. We're going to talk a little bit more about training camp and what's ahead, what the sights and sounds from basically the past couple of days, not only from the media luncheon, but the first full day of practice on Wednesday. We'll get to that in just a second. But as we noted, we have two very special guests tonight. And we are featuring them because not only were they inducted into the Bengals inaugural ring of honor, but we want to promote their great foundations and drive donations to their great causes. And uh, so please, if you would go to that GoFundMe link, we put in the live chats, we've pumped it out on cincyjungle.com, et cetera. And with that, we are very, very pleased to bring in the member the newest member of the Bengals inaugural ring of honor, Ken Anderson, Mr. Anderson, congratulations. How are you, sir? I am doing great. And uh, I'm looking forward to September 30th, you know, to be in the inaugural class of the, uh, the induction to the Bengals ring of honor. But I think, you know, what's really going to be exciting is they're also honoring that night, uh, the 81 Super Bowl team. So I think we've got a lot of guys coming in from that team. So I'm looking forward to, to kind of seeing a lot of those guys that, that aren't in Cincinnati and to kind of catch up on old times. Well, we know we know you've been immensely busy and we appreciate you carving out time for, for our show. You've been immensely kind to our show and, and we were so excited that you were willing to come back on here. I guess one of the one of the places I would want to start here, you last time you joined us was I believe at the end of January, we were talking about the freezer bowl anniversary and all that kind of stuff. But at the time we were kind of wishfully thinking about ring rings of honor, uh, something by the team. Was there any kind of indication, maybe you were holding it a little close to the vest at the time. Were they talking to you about this kind of coming to fruition here this year, or was this kind of a, a surprise as the months kind of unfolded and they were approached you saying, Hey, we, you know, you, you're going to be part of this, this class, or you're going to be voted upon to be in this class. No, it was a surprise to me. I didn't know it was in the works. And 
you know, I, I think a lot of it was uh, due to Elizabeth, Black, Elizabeth Blackburn, you know, who's starting to work uh, with the Bengals. And, uh, you know, she's Mike Brown's granddaughter. And uh, as I have told people that, you know, as, you know, and sometimes, you know, you don't listen to your kids, but the grandkids have a soft spot for you. So maybe she played on that with Mike and got this whole thing done. What was it like kind of um, – did you talk to, like, uh, Ken Riley's son, Ken Riley II, about, like, uh, about his induction? Was there any communication with that? Have, did you, like, get to know him before this whole process, or did you feel like you connected with him more uh, uh, d during the last couple of weeks now? Well, you know, I haven't really talked uh, to Kenny II. Um, I think the last time we were together, well, well unfortunately, was at his father's funeral. But before that – uh, the 50th anniversary of the Bengals a few years ago when they brought in the top 50 players and and Kenny and I were in the same weekend and, and, and Kenny the second uh, was with him then and so we had a chance to talk to him about a lot of things. Talking with Ken Anderson, the newest member of the Bengals inaugural Ring of Honor alongside Paul Brown, Anthony Munoz, and Ken Riley. Speaking of Ken Riley, uh, Ken, um, you know, there's there's been a, a big push about, you know, you and he getting your rightful spots, not only in the ring of honor, but in the hall of fame. But what is, what does it mean to you to be enshrined in this team's ring of honor um, along with those names and in the first class, there's kind of a little bit of a, a little bit of a prestige with being in, in, in the first class. Yeah, there, there is. And, but what I'm, I guess most proud of is that sometimes in today's world, the Bengals don't get a lot of respect from the national media. But, uh, you know, I go back to the 60s and the 70s and the 80s when, you know, we had a great tradition, a winning tradition, and we were as good as any football team in the National Football League and had a lot of respect from not only our peers in the league, but, you know, the, the media. So to be able to do this, and go back and remember some of those players, I think is special. It, you know, it, it, it's Anthony and it's Kenny and it's and, uh, and I, and then of course, you know, Paul Brown, but, you know, go back, all of a sudden the memories come back of, you know, Isaac Curtis and Essex Johnson and Bob Johnson and Bob Trumpy and Mike Reed and Lamar Parrish and Tommy Casanova and the great players we had back in those days. And, you know, it's nice, and, and I want people to go back and, and remember those times and remember how good we were. I think if you, you look back at the record, you know, unfortunately, we were uh, in the same division of a, a dynasty in the Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> Just a little bit, yeah. But we, by far, had the best winning percentage against the Steelers of any team in the league. We were about 50% against them, very close to it. And the next team was about 30%. So, you know... Unfortunately, you know, we kind of ran into them and, you know, we, we got beat by the, the Raiders in a playoff game in 75 and they were one of the top teams in the league. That was a three-point game and happened to get beat uh, down in 73 in Miami, uh, another year that the Dolphins happened to win a Super Bowl. So, you know, we were good back in that era. And, you know, a few more people remember, you know, the 81 season and, and going to the Super Bowl. But there were a lot of great players back in, in the 60s and 70s. Is, is there a teammate of yours from those teams in the 70s and even the 81 team that you it, it, say that you have a, a vote in the next ring of honor ballot? Is, is there someone that comes to mind that you think that should get more recognition and should maybe maybe even be included on the ballot if they were included on the ballot? Oh, Isaac Curtis, no doubt. 
you know, Isaac Curtis is the best receiver in Bengal history, you know, and his stats sometimes don't show that, but, you know, he came into the league in, in 1973. And you look back in those eras, the quarterbacks are throwing about 20 times a game. You're not going to have great stats. Uh, we only played 14 games. But the difference that Isaac Curtis made, you know, I always tell, you know, his rookie year in 73, he was Jerry Rice before Jerry Rice. I mean, he came in and lit up the National Football League. And people forget that. And, you know, uh, he was a world-class sprinter. You know, they wanted him to try out for the Olympic relay team. And, of course, he wanted to focus on football. But the difference is he was a football player that was fast, not a sprinter who tried to play football. And, and Isaac had great moves, uh, great change of direction, great hands to go along with that great speed. He's also a Southern California guy. I went to San Diego State, so I'm, I'm a little partial to him. Uh Look, there's it's an interesting parallel, and it's going to kind of lead to my next question. By the way, we're joined by Ken Anderson, legendary Cincinnati Bengal, now member of the team's Ring of Honor. Super glad to have him back on the program. Uh, look, I, I compiled some research, and really, if you if you compared Isaac Curtis's number to Drew Pearson, who just made it into the Hall of Fame, it's neck and neck, if not in favor of Isaac Curtis. And I guess where I want to where I want to go here, we've always asked you about the Hall of Fame and whatnot, but I guess. What do you not only think that this induction into the Bengals Ring of Honor does, but also endeavors like what Bengal Jim did, the, the march to the hall, to give Bengal players their proper recognition, like yourself, who are so deserving to be in Canton? What do you think this does to help heighten recognition and your rightful place in Canton? You know, I don't know. Uh, hopefully it brings a little more notoriety to some of the players that we had back in that era. But to be honest with you, I, you know, I don't know what the criteria is for the Hall of Fame. You know, is it world champions? Well, you know, then we're always going to be, you know, left behind. But there are people in the Hall of Fame that haven't won a world championship. Uh, I, I think most of the time, the only position that's judged by that happens to be quarterbacks. Uh, it's not so much a, a big factor uh, for other positions. But, you know, I don't know. And, you know, I, I tell people that, you know, the Hall of Fame is great, but I'm already in a more exclusive club than the Hall of Fame, and that's the, the NFL Man of the Year. We only do one of those a year. And uh, that not only, you know, takes into account what you did on the field, but what you did, did off the field. And, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm so proud of my career in Cincinnati. I'm, I'm so proud of the teammates that I had, the success that we had, and, you know, I, I just go to bed every night and just thankful I had the opportunity to play for the Bengals and, you know, and Paul Brown and, you know, Bill Johnson and, and Forrest Craig and, and Sam White and, you know, the teammates I had. It was uh, a really great period of my life. And I think from a fan's perspective, it, it's it's from a, a sense that, you know, even if Ken Anderson isn't in the Hall of Fame, even if he isn't in there now, maybe he doesn't get in there for five years, at least now. He is in the Hall of Fame from his own team. He's in the Bengals Ring of Honor, and that's been something that I think fans have wanted for as long as more players like yourself have wanted. But, Ken, we are honoring your charity tonight. We are trying to get donations for the Ken Anderson Alliance. And this has been a busy month for you, not only from a professional football career, but also for your own foundation as well. You just launched 
uh, Just Brew, the coffee shop, which is located mm-hmm. right at the headquarters of the Ken Anderson Alliance in Silverton. To kind of talk about um, what, what really started with that and, and what, what was what was the goal and the mission for Just Brew? Well, you know, it, it started several months ago uh, when we merged with another nonprofit, uh, Melodic Connections. And we took over the building that they had in Silverton. And it had a lot of a lot of space to it. And, you know, you know, as I said, the, the mission of the Ken Anderson Alliance is to create live, work, and engage opportunities for adults with developmental disabilities. And so, you know, they had a spot that was going to be perfect for a coffee shop. And, you know, thanks to one of our board members, Terry Tomlinson, who kind of funded uh, getting the coffee shop, uh, you know, remodeled up and running. Um, gosh, we have a, a great girl that's, uh, that, that's training our employees and, uh, we're employing 14 adults with disabilities. And, you know, I think that's important because number one, uh, we're training them to do this job. It may lead to another job at somewhere else. Uh, maybe they're coming in, they had a job and after COVID they lost that job and they're coming in and working again. But, you know, it's real jobs with real wages that lets them live as independently as possible. So, you know, we were there for the the grand opening and and the coffee is great. The service is great. The atmosphere is great. You can buy Ken Anderson jerseys in there. You can buy Ken Anderson T-shirts. We've got one young man with disabilities that uh, is a great artist and we're selling his artwork in there. So uh, it, it's uh, it, it's a part of the community. And, you know, I had a meeting with our executive director uh, this morning at 10 o'clock and he just walked over from me and says, it's packed again. So uh, the community loves it. And, uh, you know, you don't, you don't come back if the product's not good and uh, it's good coffee. Well, it's it's awesome stuff. And uh, we, we want to hear a little bit more about the charity as well and your thoughts maybe on how, how the Bengals are looking today. Uh, in 2021 as training camp opens. But I, I did have one quick question before we segue over there. There there was a 16 lots beer that was brewed. Uh, they, they came to you to brew a beer. Um, rumor has it that you, you instructed them to have it taste as close to Keystone as possible. Is that is that true? Because I know you're a big Keystone guy. Keystone's with Kenny. Is that oh, is that true? No question. Um, you know, <laughs> One of the owners, Dell, you know, called me. I'm on a conference call with him and, you know, saying we want to brew a beer for you and for the foundation. And, you know, we'll give you a percentage of the sales. It's going to be a nice little amount for our foundation. And I, I stopped him in his tracks and I said, Dell, I really appreciate the gesture, but I, I really have a tough time going to microbreweries. I, I don't like IPAs. Uh, I don't like the heavier beers. Most of the beers leave an aftertaste. And he goes, no, I know you like Keystone Light. He said, we'll brew a beer like that. So one of the exciting things was we did kind of some tastings out uh, there at the brewery. But when I was up there for the opening of Just Brew, uh, his beer truck came in that that had, of course, different taps. And we had a test batch for Kenny's Day Drinking Lager. And it is outstanding. So it's, it's in the process. And if you go to our website, I'm sure there's pictures of the cans. It's going to be a collector can, uh, if nothing else. And, and so uh, I'm excited. And, you know, the, the whole thing about it, it, it uh, it's a lower alcohol content. Uh, it's light. And, you know, we're calling it day drinking lager because you can drink it all day. Great tailgating beer. Uh, you know, when you're watching a football game, that's the beer that you want to drink. So I'm really excited about that. 
I love it. Uh, I know. I remember last time you were on, you were talking about keystones with Kenny, uh, and I had to ask you. I had to ask you about that before we we move on a little bit to uh, just some quick thoughts of yours on the current state of the Bengals. I was curious with your inauguration in the Ring of Honor. Did you hear from any kind of NFL contemporaries? I'm sure you heard from your teammates and whatnot about congratulating you, but. Maybe uh, maybe some of these other high-profile great players that you went head-to-head, toe-to-toe with, a Dan Fouts, a Joe Montana, any of those kinds of folks reach out to you and say, hey, Ken, congratulations, um, and or any any kind of fun little anecdotes that came with the inauguration, uh, the inaugural class and you being inducted in it. No, no, not from anybody else, and I'm not sure that outside of Cincinnati that, uh, that many people know about it, but you know, and Keystones with Kenny, you know, I've had Dan Fouts on, I've had Archie Manning on, you know, a bunch of those, those old guys, but, you know, certainly a, a lot of response from, from my former teammates, uh, you know, congratulating me. And, and like I said, you know, that night we'll all be honoring the 81 Super Bowl team. So, um, you know, we'll have a chance to get together and, and, and tell some stories and share some beers. And, and hopefully uh, by that time, it'll be Keystones with Kenny that we're uh, sharing, or excuse me, Kenny's debut is longer than we there you go. Uh, well, I, I don't know if you've been keeping up with what's going on at, at Bengals training camp today. I know you've kind of got your pulse on the team and, and have been in contact with the club, obviously, and whatnot. But, uh, you know, last time we talked to you, the draft hadn't happened yet. There are, you know, there's been a lot of different moves in free agency by the team. Uh, you know, we were all kind of ho- cautiously optimistic at the beginning of the year. We were wondering what's going on with Joe Burrow. He is now close to 100%, he claims, uh, mm-hmm. at this point. The team loaded up on the offensive side of the ball with with their top two picks. Um, didn't get the high pro, highest profile offensive lineman. So I guess, uh, what, what's your take on the pulse of the team right now? And what did you think about the team maybe not getting the top tier free agent in at, at offensive line and or in the first round? Well, you know, I think they feel very confident in what they have offensive line wise. You know, uh, Jonah Williams, you know, didn't play his rookie year, was hurt again last year. If he can come back and live up to his potential, we've got a, a great left tackle. Uh, they signed some free agents last year that many of them happened to get hurt. So if they're healthy this year, I, I think they feel very confident with the new offensive line coach that they have is, is developing these guys and making them a little bit more sound. So I think internally they probably feel pretty good about the chances for the offensive line. And, you know, if you give Joe a little time, you know, what weapons do I have? And, of course, adding a receiver, number one, is uh, is going to help him out because, you know, gosh, you know, between him and, and T. Higgins, who had a, a, a really a breakout rookie year, and Tyler Boyd, you know, uh, you know, Uzama, you know, as a tight end, Joe Mixon as a running back, you know, we've got some weapons. So I, I think if that offensive line can get solidified, give us a little time, we're going to score some points. Yeah, it's like he's got three Isaac Curtis's out there now. Um, <laughs> Burrow was asked uh, today in his like first in-person press conference about how, does he plan on like maybe changing or adapting his playing style to kind of reacclimate himself uh, from the injury, and he basically shut it down, saying, "I'm just going to play the way I play. Like that's the only way I know how." Mm-hmm. Football to me is is when you get hit. It's kind of like it's the overall experience with it. Is that something that like fans and analysts maybe don't quite understand? Like it's hard to really change your playing style, especially as a quarterback after you come back from a long injury. Or is it something that maybe he is more capable of doing because he's so young in his career? 
No, I, I think, you know, what we saw in Joe Burrow last year before he got hurt, he's the real deal. He, he's got what it takes. We don't need him to change the way that he plays. You know, I think the biggest hurdle for him is overcoming the confidence, you know, that your knee is going to hold up. And that's just from practicing every day. It's from playing in a few preseason games and developing that confidence. But I, I have no doubt that opening day he's going to be ready to go. Talking with Ken Anderson, uh, member of the Bengals inaugural Ring of Honor class, one of the best Bengals of all time. Happy to have him with us. Uh, before we we hear a little bit more about your foundation, Ken, you got a, You got a quick uh, record prediction about uh, for the Bengals this year. I, I always like to ask that. I don't know why. Well, you know, own, I, I hate to go to talk about records. You know, I think what we want to see is improvement. And, you know, that'll show up in, in wins and losses. And, and I don't want to put a number of it on it. But, I, you know, I think that they're going to be substantially better this year. And, you know, unfortunately, we're still in a pretty tough division. You know, uh, Baltimore is, is very good. Cleveland is a very good football team. You never count the Pittsburgh Steelers out. Uh, I don't care how old Ben Roethlisberger is. So it's going to be a tough division. But I, I think you'll be able to tell – by the play on the field, whether we're going in the right direction. And I got a lot of confidence in Zach Taylor, you know, and his coaching staff. I think they're doing the right things. I think the players have bought into to what he's saying and, and, and his vision for this team. And so I, I think it's going to show up on the field. I don't know how many wins that's going to be, but I think it's going to be obvious that they're a better football team. Well, we talked about the coffee shop that you just opened up through the Ken Anderson Alliance Foundation. Um, and your, your your organization is doing some really awesome things. Uh, I, I guess I just wanted to give you another chance to, to talk a little bit more, maybe what's ahead with the foundation. Um, we're, we're garnering some donations. They're, they're starting to, to come in here for the evening and we wanna make sure that uh, we get a sizable amount to, and get those to you to, to make an impact. But if there's anything else you wanted to add about the foundation beyond the new coffee shop that you opened, we'd love to hear it. Well, I think one of the exciting things is uh, we've got a music studio in, in the back of our building and we're doing adult daycare services with music therapy. And, you know, my wife, Christy and I had a chance to go up there one day and they had about four or five adults that were on the severe, severe end of autism or Down syndrome. And uh, they're there in wheelchairs and microphones. And we have three on staff that are playing keyboard, piano, drums. And, and these kids, you know, getting involved with it, with tambourines, singing the words of the song. Uh, gosh, uh, I think the first song happened to be Sweet Caroline that, uh, that we heard them in. But to see the pure joy on their faces making music, um, that was really exciting. We went back up the next day, and uh, they had one of our adults with a guitar. And I looked, and they, they had colors uh, where the chords are on the neck of the guitar. And, and another adult at a keyboard with colors on the keys. And there's music in front of them with colors. And, of course, the keys and the chords and the guitar you know, matched up with the colors, teaching them to play, you know, by colors. And so, you know, I think when we're, we're up and running and fully staffed, we'll, we'll have about 80 adults a week that we're servicing with with uh, daycare services. Um, we have uh, engage opportunities, over 20 opportunities a month 
where uh, our adults go out in small groups in the community, whether it's to a Reds game, whether it's out to dinner, whether it's to play putt-putt, whether it's to go to another nonprofit um, and, and volunteer. But we're servicing about 230 adults a month in that program. We have another work program up, uh, our O2 Urban Farms, where we're growing lettuce uh, indoors under lights. Um, and we employ people there. But you know, our main focus is that uh, we want to build a community uh, that's a safe environment for adults to live in. And we have property in Springfield Township. Um, we are uh, getting ready uh, for groundbreaking. It's all designed. It's all laid out. Uh, so uh, we've got a capital campaign that will start uh, sometime this fall. But uh, in uh, June of 23, uh, we're going to open up an apartment building and a community center uh, then phase two with some cottages. But when it's done, uh, we'll house 170 adults uh, on about 23 acres. That's amazing. It's amazing stuff. Uh, I, you know, when, when you and I were in contact, Mr. Anderson, I, I kind of said I had, uh, you know, your organization kind of holds near and dear to my heart because of some, uh, some people I am close to that uh, have some developmental disabilities. And so even though they are not in the greater Cincinnati area. I think what you're doing is amazing. And as we teased at the beginning, we've got, uh, for those who are donating, we've got all kinds of Ken Anderson Alliance swag, some sunglasses, when that 16 lots beer comes out, some koozies, some stuff to give away to you for donating among many other items. So we're giving those out. John, I've got one more surprise for Mr. Anderson before we get, out, get him out of here. I don't know if you have anything else you wanna ask him uh, before I get to that though. Um, but j just so uh, Mr. Anderson can hear from us and, and also from our viewers, I just want to give shout outs to the people who have donated thus far. And again, 100% of these proceeds are going to Mr. Anderson's foundation, along with Ken, the Ken Riley Foundation and the Anthony Munoz Foundation. We got $10 from Mr. Frank Rudolph. Thank you, Frank. We have $25 from Satyam Sarma and Brady Nance, who's a good friend on Twitter. $50 from Jason Von Stein, longtime listener, Derek Davis as well, and Clifton D. Davis. And a hundred dollar donation from Isaac Nearing. Thank you guys so much for kickstarting the donations. And Ken, there's support out here from we got listeners from all over the world, from what it seems like. So there's out, outpour of support for your foundation as well as Ken and Anthony's foundation. And I think what you're doing, I think Anthony said it best. It's something great. It's something that not a lot of people really know about. And thank you so much for bringing light to the situation and doing your best to to make it better. Well, you know, thank you so much and. You know, there's no, no donation too small. And, you know, every dollar adds up. And, you know, whether it's just, you know, adding one service that we can provide for an adult with developmental disabilities, it's all worth the time and effort. And, you know, I'm just so proud of, of where the organization uh, has come from. Uh, you know, when my wife, Christy, and I started, I think, I think it was 2014 as the Ken Anderson Foundation, we were the kind of the crew that spearheaded it, and, and and she worked harder than I do at it. But it's it's a source of pleasure and you know and pride to see where we've come, you know, in the short period of time. Well, it's it's a great cause, and like I said, one that's near and dear to our our hearts. And we can't thank you enough for being so kind to this program. We will continue to support your foundation. Open invitation anytime you want to come on. We don't want to. We don't want to over inundate you with invitations. But you've been incredibly kind to this show, and we can't thank you enough. I did want to show you this real quick. I don't know if you'll be able to see it too well, 
but I am in the midst of re redoing a man cave, a, a little space of my own. And one of the things that's in there is the jersey I have purchased, uh, your signed one from the uh, from the foundation that will be a centerpiece in my new man cave. So uh, thought you'd, you'd get a kick out of that, but uh, want to support your foundation how we can. Hopefully we make a sizable impact, not only tonight, but going forward and supporting your charity. Thanks so much for coming on, Mr. Anderson. Congratulations on making the Ring of Honor. We know Canton's next for you. Well, you know, thank you so much. And you guys, you know how to get a hold of me. So whenever you need me, you know, as the season starts, uh, you know, just give me a buzz. But, you know, and, and for people that want to find out more about what we are, um, if they would like to have a Ken Anderson jersey, we've got some great T-shirts. Uh, Advisory Curtis and I just says legends on them. Uh, we've got pullovers. We've got signed footballs. We've got signed helmets. Um, you know, for all your shopping needs, go to KenAndersonLions.org. We can take care of you. And it'll also tell you, you know, what our foundation's about and what our vision is. Yeah. I, I bought that shirt, by the way, as well, the Legends one. Unfortunately, I've got an arm injury, so it's it's a little more snugger fit. So I couldn't get it over the, the arm cast right now. Otherwise, I'd be wearing it right now. But thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I think I'm going to be making my way out to Cincinnati for a game or two this year. So um, and week four, I know, is, is a big one for you and for a lot of fans. That might be uh, there for, for me to go out there, maybe week one. But hopefully I see you out there. But thank you so much, Mr. Anderson. Appreciate your time. Well, if you're out there for week one, uh, we're going to be in town. And at the banks uh, across from the Holy Grail, the streets closed down. We'll have a foundation tent where we're selling different items, creating awareness for our foundation. And I will be there uh, on September 12th for opening day. Awesome. Well, if I make it out there, if I end up doing that, I'll keep my eyes out for you and give you a, give you a hearty handshake. Thanks for everything that you do in the community. Well-deserving of that NFL Man of the Year award that you won. And uh, we, we'll be talking to you soon. Congratulations once again on the Ring of Honor. Well, thank you. When the Bengals start off 4-0, 5-0, have me on again because we predicted it here. That's right. That's right. You heard it here first. That's right. There we go. Take care, Ken. All right. Thank you much, guys. All right. Ken Anderson. Uh, one of, if not our favorite guests that we've had on this show, uh, a multiple time guy. He, he gave us a lot of time. Uh, I, I, we were, we were talking about some training camp stuff. He showed up a little earlier than usual. And I said, uh, you know what, let's get him on. So, uh, I appreciate that. And, um, we appreciate the donations. I know he appreciates the donations that have come in so far. We are still a ways away from our goal of $2,021, but we are getting, some nice donations in. We've got a lot of different stuff to give away from to folks here. Like I mentioned, we've got a lot of really cool, uh, if you like trading cards, that's kind of a hot ticket item these days. It's hard to get your hands on, on trading cards right now. We've got Joe Burrow rookie cards in Bengals uniform, in the Ohio State uniform, all kinds of different stuff. We'll group, you know, stuff like that. Joe Burrow right there. We've got T. Higgins rookie cards. We're, we're giving away stuff. We've got the Ken Anderson swag that we told you about, the koozies, the towels. We've got some Cincy Jungle shirts, some Orange and Black Insider stuff. So we want your donations to not only count, uh, but we want to we want to thank you. And even if it's in a little way with some of this stuff, this may not be totally appealing to all of you in terms of uh, stuff you are, are dreaming of, but we want to give you a little thank you gift for your donations. So please, please, please keep the generosity up. And John, do you know, do you know who Ken Anderson was brought to us by? I do not know. You don't? I don't. Could, oh. could you tell me? I think it's going to be Symbol. 
S-I-M-B-U-L-L.app backslash OBI. That is symbol. That's who Ken Anderson is brought to us by. They are the stock market for sports. We've partnered with them since before the draft. And uh, it's been a great partnership. We, we're working on continuing that moving forward here. But it is a long-term, I don't want to call it sports betting. It's a, it's a long-term play in terms of an investment opportunity in the sports betting fantasy football realm. Right, John? Exactly. It is investment for sports fans. Like I, I feel like a lot of people now, they're into cr- cryptocurrency. And everyone has been into the stock market since it's been invented. But honestly, no one really knows what goes on with that. It's it's a fugazi. It's a fugazi. It's, it's fairy tales. It doesn't exist. It's not on the periodic elemental chart. This stuff is. It's basically, if this team does good, its stock value price typically goes up. And if you think that Team X is going to succeed over the next two to three years, that you invest in that team and you see your dividends increase. Therefore, it is the stock market for sports. It really is that simple. And with the promo code OBI, you get a $10 deposit bonus when you sign up and you can invest in the Sim Bengals, which is still around the $50 price mark if you think that they're going to succeed in the near future. And you just play the long term. It, it's the stock market for sports. It's sports investing. And it's a lot of fun when you get into it. Absolutely. And thank you to Symbol uh, to for partnering with us. Go get that $10 deposit bonus, as John mentioned, using that promo code OBI. We're going to continue on with a little more training camp talk. We've got about 20 minutes until Ken Riley II is set to join us. We're excited to speak with him about his father's induction. Mm-hmm. By the way, we had also uh, reached out to Anthony Munoz's camp. We've, we've been in touch with him up to right before the show. He was interested in coming on the show. He's going to try to come on the show. Unfortunately, he was out of town this week, just got back in, I guess, late last night. So I don't think he's going to make it tonight. However, we may have another opportunity, whether it's a, a message from him or another standalone podcast interview with him. Uh, he's he, he, he and his uh, associates with the Munoz Foundation really like the idea of what we're trying to do in terms of this charity fest and whatnot. So, um, you know, he, he's, he may join us tonight. It's looking like it may be another time, maybe even next week. We'll see. But uh, we are working on getting him as well. So it was, it was flattering that he was interested in coming on the program too. So hopefully we can make that happen and hit the trifecta, John, hit the trifecta. By the way, I like that. That Italian accent you worked there with that symbol symbol plug there. That was nice. That was nice. It was not supposed to be Italian. It was oh. supposed to be Matthew McConaughey from <laughs> the Wolf of Wall Street. Right. Um, but right. I mean, I, I no one can do the McConaughey. That, that's a really hard impersonation. And I have 50% Italian blood in me. So I think that's just how it came out. Well, yeah. You you and I, we're the, we're the Italian guys. I like it. I like it. Exactly. Uh, well, we were talking bef- before we were graced by the presence of Ken Anderson on the show. We were talking a little bit about some of these quotes that you grabbed from Zach Taylor and from Duke Tobin. Um, So good stuff there, John. Now some sights and sounds from camp here. I guess let's start with the interviews that preceded camp, and then we can talk about some of the things that we saw at practice. Uh, Let's start Joe Burrow there um, with his golden smile that he has now uh, took the stage proclaimed that his knee was basically very, very close to 100%, uh, did wear the knee brace at practice, which I think we all predicted. But, um, you know, he's he's not only proclaiming himself to be 100%, but one of the interesting tidbits I thought also was no more social media for Joe Burrow. He has shut off all that stuff and is focusing on football as teammates or so he claims. Yeah, so 
he didn't delete his Twitter and his Instagram. I don't believe. I think he just stopped using them because mm-hmm. yeah, I think he tweeted last in like July in support of uh, college athletes and NIL. But I mean, you know, Burrow barely tweeted anyways, so I feel like he never really used it in general. But I think that just kind of speaks to just how locked in that he is. Something that Mike Brown um, was asked about at, at the media luncheon was like, the, well, like what is Burrow's mentality? What, what does it like speak to you? Does it remind you of anyone? And he literally compared him to Drew Brees and Tom Brady in that regard and just how locked in that he is and how focused he is. And I think that's, I mean, Mike Brown's not the first person to, to describe Burrow like that, but this process has been something new to him, right? Like he has dealt with adversity before in terms of just becoming a starter in college and then becoming the golden boy Heisman trophy winner and the first overall pick, but recovering from injury and coming back like this, it's something that not a lot of athletes ever have to go through, especially at such a young age. So if there was anyone who could do that and lock in and, and block out any and, and all the noise, and there certainly was a lot of negative noise surrounding if the Bengals are going to support him, if the offensive line is good enough, and if he's going to miss games, like he was the guy to block that out. And I think he's done the very best he possibly could have. And the Bengals training staff, in terms of recovering from injuries, Nick Cosgrave's staff, they do a great job of getting these guys back especially not only Joe Burrow, but Trey Hopkins as well. And we can talk about him in a minute, but Burrow himself just was locked in. And I don't think he could have recovered from this injury any faster if he, if, if he even wanted to. Hopefully he never has to do it again, but we know that he has the mentality to, to do these things that some people consider impossible. On Monday, I was joined by Strawberry Ice, a.k.a. Jeff Trenopole, great guy. He has his great show, Cincinnati Sports with Strawberry Ice. I think he's roaming around in the live chats as well. But, you know, I kind of mentioned to him that the one thing that I think is resonating among many other things with Joe Burrow, leadership, et cetera, you know, these these players, his teammates have an eye on how he is attacking this rehab process and how aggressive he has been in terms of making sure that he's on track to start week one, basically, no matter what, uh, being smart about it. But, uh, you know, um, you know, I, I thought, I thought that that is something that maybe resonates with, with teammates uh, in terms of how he is attacking things. And I would think that that rubs off on guys. There was two things with that that stood out to me today. Trey Hopkins spoke to the media after Joe Burrow, and he was asked about like the recovery process with Burrow, and he said something along the lines of, like, Burrow doesn't want to show weakness. He'll never show signs of defeat, and he'll make you want to recover as fast as he's recovering. So he builds that mentality and, I guess, that culture of, like, okay, like I- I'm doing this, I'm suffering with it, but he's doing it too, and if he's attacking it like this, then, by God, I'm going to do that as well. And he also talked about, you know, him being out there for OTAs. That was somewhat of a surprise initially when we first saw Mm -hmm. him participating during May and June. And he said there was a decision to either go out there and participate, be on the field and go through the reps with the receivers or instead of doing that, do rehab. And he decided to do the the high risk, high reward of doing the on-field work and then making up the rehab work down the road because he knew he was going to have time to do that. I think that also just speaks to, okay, this guy is doing everything he possibly can to get mentally right, to get physically right for a training camp for the preseason and for the regular season. And he's even sacrificing some rehab time, but he's doing it in a way that he knows he can manage down the road. So again, like it's, it's not only just like the mentality that he has and just the, the presence that he has, but it's the actions too. And for someone who's just 24 years old with all this pressure on his shoulders, I don't think there's a person, employee, 
player janitor in that building that doesn't buy into what he's what he's doing. Before we move on a little bit to some Sam Hubbard talk and some other topics, acquisitions and whatnot, some new guys that were set to potentially hit the field with the team. I wanted, I just saw this come across our Twitter timeline here. This is a tweet from Dalton, the mastermind behind our new show logo saying Ken Anderson is talking about Isaac Curtis on the Bengals uh, on Bengals OBI with Anthony and John. Check out this graphic he made. This thing is killer. I mean, that thing is just killer. Um, with all the 85s there, Isaac Curtis in the throwbacks, you got Chad. And then, of course, uh, Higgins there. That, that I don't know. That's just a really cool image there. I'm going to have to maybe give him some some money to be able to use that as a wallpaper or something. That's a really, really cool graphic that we came up with. I wanted to share that with you in case you didn't see it. No, that's that's sick. Dalton, um, shout out to him for the work that he does, mostly just very charitable himself and just putting mm-hmm. out these graphics to us. But man, the 85, man, there's I mean, where, where was Tyler Eifert on there? It, I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's I we didn't get to talk about this because it happened. Strangely enough, it happened like on a Sunday or at least it was announced on a Sunday. Um, usually these are the things that are announced on like a Monday or Tuesday, but Sam Hubbard inks a new contract extension, essentially four years, 40 million is $10 million average annual value on the contract seems to be working out in the team's favor a little bit after year one. But John, I think a lot of people say initially $10 million a year for a guy who is an edge player, who's very good against the run but doesn't really get after the quarterback all that often. Had some injuries last year. Um, but as I took a step back, I think just basically market value where that position is at right now and a guy that you deem as your maybe 2A, 2B edge player on your team, um, I, I think it's a fair market value a little bit for a guy like that personally. Um, it may be overpriced for some people's taste, but – that's just kind of where the market is at. And I think if you look next spring, I mean, I don't have a crystal ball in front of me, but I think if, if he was to go to free agency next spring and the way that frenzy goes in March, um, you know, you, you would be looking at a little bit of a different contract scenario, in my opinion. So the contracts that most um, accurately align with him from a monetary standpoint, Romeo Aquara, who's inked his deal with the Lions this offseason, Shaq Lawson, who was traded to the Texans, but he signed originally a deal with the Dolphins, uh, Carl Nassib with the with the Las Vegas Raiders, and even Emmanuel Ogba with the Miami Dolphins. I, I think we could all agree that Hubbard is in that tier of pass rusher where he's not, like you said, a dominant option. He can't be counted on for like double-digit sacks per year, but you know, just in terms of solid play, being a decent run defender, like that is the market for that type of pass rusher, and that is exactly where Sam Hubbard got paid. I think there was a question of are they going to slightly maybe go above that, maybe in the 12 and $13 million range, but I think they settled right where he probably should have gotten paid. And honestly, just thinking about it, he was coming off a year where he missed a month with, with an arm injury, and he didn't, really, he didn't really play that well before the injury, and it took him a while to kind of get reacclimated afterwards. But he only had like a handful of good games last season. He only finished with two and a half sacks. So he was coming off of what could be end up being like maybe the worst year of his career. And that's when he got paid. I I feel like had he had a full 17 game season this year and everything that came with that, I think he could have gotten a little bit more money, a little bit more change if had he entered free agency and in the ensuing offseason, kind of like what Carl Lawson ended up doing this past year. So I definitely think that 
even though Sam Hubbard might might never be more of a pass rusher than maybe say like what Michael Johnson was, I think that's still a, a player that you wouldn't mind keeping around for the long term because, like you said, it, it's an affordable deal that's right in the range of the quality of player that he is. And I think also j- just kind of throwing a curveball out there, but there's a lot of talk with Aaron Rodgers uh, this week and about how he came back to the Packers and one of the reasons why he you know did the whole thing this offseason was he felt like the Packers organization didn't do a good job of retaining some veterans that kind of built the locker room in a in, a, in the right way and kind of got rid of some leaders because they were they were too frugal. I feel like Sam Hubbard kind of fits the line of what, of what those players are from the Bengals sense. And obviously Hubbard and Burrow have a great relationship. I def- definitely don't mind, don't think that Burrow minds that Hubbard's going to be on the defense for another four to five years now. So I think these are moves, even looking at with money aside, that is just an overall positive from the team's perspective because Hubbard is probably going to be a captain this year. He's a young leader on that defense and it's not going to break the bank. So overall, but solid move that you can't really complain about. Exactly. And I, I agree with the Michael Johnson parallel in terms of kind of what they do and what they do best. I also would go back a little further and and mention Robert gathers his name. It's kind of a very similar thing there. Robert gathers was a guy that was very effective against the run, had the one or two explosive sack number years, but really was just kind of a guy who would set the edge, particularly in the run game. And he was valued for that. And a lot of people would go, well, where's, you know, where's they didn't see the forest for the trees or whatever that statement is uh, they, didn't, they didn't see the the whole picture there and so you know and, and this is the thing john hubbard and jesse bates were undoubtedly guys that the Bengals have targeted to try and re-sign this spring they they always target a couple of guys or a guy before they are set to hit free agency and try and get the deal done in training camp they got hubbard done i'm sure they're working on bates that one's going to be a little more difficult because of the price factor there but Kudos to them getting Sam Hubbard done. How confident How confident are you that Jesse Bates will now get done? I'm pretty confident that it will. Uh, they seem to just kind of get these things going. I mean, Tyler Boyd signed one. Burfick signed a couple. I mean, they, they do this in the summer. But um, this one's going to be pricey, and it's at a position they don't normally like to pay a ton of money to um, or draft all that high. Well, I, I think – I didn't expect it. I do expect it to happen. I have total confidence that it will eventually happen. But I think people got confused with like, okay, if Jesse Bates is a better player and he's the quote unquote a higher priority, then why didn't his extension come first? The simple answer is because it's a little bit more complicated and it's going to take a little bit more time than Hubbard because it's just a more expensive contract. It's going to be a contract that in all likelihood is going to reset the market for the safety position. I, like Justin Simmons this offseason was the first safety to break the $15 million threshold and in all likelihood, Jesse Bates is going to get exactly that number, maybe slightly even bigger. And they did this with A.J. Green six years ago. Like, A.J. Green was one of the first receivers to get a $15 million deal at the receiver position the same offseason that Des Bryant got it, that Demarius Thomas got it. But Green came later than all those guys. And if you remember, A.J. Green's extension came, I believe, 24 hours before week one yeah. of the 2015 season. They were playing in Oakland. So, like, A.J. Green wasn't even in the city of Cincinnati when that when that deal became official. So this could take – it could take a couple of days into training camp. It could take a couple of weeks. It could be right when Geno Atkins and Carlos Dunlap signed their extensions back in 2018. I believe that was late August. Or it could take all the way into, into September, which is exactly what happened with Joe Mixon last year. The point is it's going to get done because they they know that they can't afford to get rid of a guy like Jesse Bates. And also you got to read between the lines here. Sam Hubbard 
wasn't signed for long term this offseason or, or this spring. And he was still with, with all the festivities, with bringing out the jerseys and all the and all the hype and the propaganda with all that. Jesse Bates was in those same promotions too. His jersey was featured as one of the three mannequins when they revealed the jerseys. You can't even buy Jesse Bates's jersey right now. They realized that there was the there was demand for that jersey, so they put in so many orders in the spring just so people can be able to buy him in the fall. There is a clear directive and incentive to bring back Jesse Bates for the long term, not only because of the talented player that he is, but because of just how important he is with this organization, how popular he is with the fan base. They know that they have a deal that they can get done with him. There's no reason why it shouldn't. And for that reason, there's no reason to expect for him not to get signed by the time September 13th comes around. Agreed. Uh, We're going to get to our second special guest in just a minute here. Before we do, John, I just want to quickly go over the offensive line and wide receiver additions that the Bengals have made in the past couple of days here. Um, the uh, Gaillard from Arizona, they, they got him off of waivers. They've flirted with Austin um, uh, Ryder, who was a center from Kansas City. I think he left town uh, without a deal, but is looking at, uh, you know, they're going to keep tabs on that, I think. And then, of course, um, they signed Reese Horn, the wide receiver. So pretty interesting. They're loading back up on offense at some of those positions, particularly with the injury to Wyatt Hubert uh, before his season's over, before the, it even began. Yeah, so right now the Bengals have 88 players on their roster. So before the additions of Guyard and Gunnar Vogel, the offense tackle, and Reese Horn, the wide receiver, they were they 85 so I don't think that these additions specifically have a lot of implications about position group battles or you know major shakeups to what the final roster is going to be. I think it's just them taking advantage of the, the roster space that they had. Um, I, but you mentioned the defensive line. Wyatt Hubert is out for the year with the torn pectoral. Larry Ogunjobi is currently on the perform uh, physically unable to perform list, but that's only a day-to-day injury. So there is reason to believe that they could be interested in another defensive lineman just to get some some more reps in there. Um, but I think overall, I think Guyard and Horn and Vogel are going to be nothing more than like third string players who will fill out the bottom of the roster. They'll get opportunities in the preseason and whatnot, but I, I don't foresee those guys necessarily really doing anything uh, of substantial impact unless they really blow people away. Like Guyard, in my opinion, was a decent college player. He was a teammate of Trey Hills back in Georgia. He was he was the center when Trey Hill was right guard as a true freshman. I think he has talent to make an NFL roster. It's just a matter of is he going to get enough opportunities to get in front of Billy Price for that. If Trey Hopkins is fully healthy by the time August and September rolls around, then there's no real need for Billy Price to you know be established as a, a starter or anything. So there is a potential path for Guyard to fill in there. But again, it's all it's all about opportunities. And now these guys are actually going to get some opportunities on like last year, but still it's hard to see these signings making much of an impact. Guyard played, uh, started two games for the Cardinals last year, got a sub 50 pro football focus grade. So a little bit of yikes there. And Ryder is by accounts I have seen and heard. Um, he's a little bit uh, suspect in the run blocking aspect, um, a little bit better in the pass pro, but obviously Kansas City wanted to overhaul their offensive line and has, has done so in a major way this year. So he was not part of their plans going forward. We're going to talk a little bit more training camp, including a positional preview in just a little bit. But as we teased at the beginning of the show, we have a couple of huge, huge guests to help us not only kick off the 2021 
uh, training camp with the Cincinnati Bengals, but also to celebrate the Ring of Honor. Um, we are honoring these players and those inducted into the Bengals inaugural Ring of Honor by highlighting the charities from those respective players and their families. So we are very, very pleased to be joined right now by Ken Riley II. Mr. Riley, how you doing? Congratulations to you and your family on your father's induction to the Bengals Ring of Honor. Uh, thanks so much, and uh, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, it's definitely a great honor for him, and we're excited uh, for him to have this opportunity. Uh, like I said, it's kind of you know, bittersweet from the standpoint that he's not actually here to witness it, but I know that he's uh, smiling down from above. And uh, like I say, it's a, it's a great, great honor. Well, thanks for making the time to come on our program. I know you've been a very busy guy and uh, we, we could not be more excited for you and your family that your father was inducted into the Ring of Honor. John and I, we can, you can go back a few episodes. We've been touting the uh, put the Kens in, not only the Ring of Honor, but also put them into Canton. So I guess I kind of want to start in that, in that realm a little bit. When, when you got word officially from the team that your father was inducted in the inaugural class, what, what was your, I assume elation and all kinds of different emotions were, were part of the process for all of you when you got that news. Yes, of course. Uh, definitely excited and uh, just proud. Uh, I, he spent his entire 15 year career with Cincinnati. So Cincinnati was uh second home. I was actually born in Cincinnati. So, uh, never really lived there cause we lived in Florida, but it always is a second home. And every time we got an opportunity to go back, we, uh, we really enjoyed it. And he can always feel, uh, the love from the fans. And like I said, it's, it was definitely a great honor, uh, to get that call from Elizabeth and uh, Mr. Mike Brown. The hall of fame is one beast i guess it's one it's one thing but the ring of honor was another thing and it was always a battle i guess for not only former players but fans to really get through to the brown family to make it a reality was was the ring of honor was the idea of that was that ever something that that you your family or or even your father even contemplated in in his retirement Did, did you ever think it was going to be a reality was it that big of a surprise when they finally announced it this year well it was a great surprise you know my father and i we talked about it uh, a couple times because you you know you would always see uh other teams you know honoring their uh past greats and you know they have the ring honor and retired jersey so we definitely would notice it um and so for the Bengals to finally have their ring on honor uh it was definitely uh exciting and a great surprise and uh like i said it's just unfortunate that he's not here to see it but uh Definitely happy, uh, happy for, you know, Anthony Munoz, uh, Ken Anderson, and um, Cobalt Brown. You know, those are, those are legends. You know, I said, like, it's like the Mount Rushmore of Cincinnati. And look forward to seeing some of the other future greats, the Isaac Curtises, you know, uh, Reggie Williams, uh, Lamar Parrish. You know, I can go on and on. And like I said, those guys that growing up were my, you know, I really enjoy watching them play. And there's such such a great history that, unfortunately, a lot of, being a small in the market, a lot of people don't know that great history. But now we get to showcase it. So uh, definitely looking forward to also the, uh, some of the future guys going in, too, as well. Talking with Ken Riley, the second son of Ken Riley, who was just enshrined in the Bengals' inaugural class of their Ring of Honor. So happy to have him with us talking not only about his father or his father, their family, and of course, the uh, the foundation that they're running. We're going to hear more about that in a second. 
Ken, I wanted to bring this up, and I don't. I hopefully, hopefully, you can see my screen here. This was an article that came up on my Twitter feed of late, and this was uh, by Clark Judge, who was uh, with CBS Sports for a long time, and now he's with Fan Nation. But he writes basically, "What what effect will the Bengals Ring of Honor?" There, there's kind of some back and forth on it, but at the end here, he, he notes that this this is something that will potentially um, help your father get is very deserving Canton bid. He's tied fifth all time in NFL history with interceptions. And, uh, you know, he talks not only about Munoz, but Ken Anderson, but about your father specifically and how he is deserving. And hopefully this will now be an impetus to get him into Canton. Has, has your family kind of echoed that sentiment in terms of what the ring of honor means for further recognition that your father deserves? Uh, of course, I saw that article as well. Uh, you just never know. Unfortunately, it's out of uh, our control. It's always out of his control at that point. Uh, I know that he has a lot of support, not only from uh, the Cincinnati fans, but others, you know, even from uh, his peers, former peers, uh, Mel Blunt, uh, great guy. He actually um, has some great words to say about my father, James Lawton, uh, and the list goes on and on. So uh, that means a lot just to have that respect from the peers and the love from Cincinnati and the Bengals. And at this point, um, you just never know. There are so many uh, deserving other greats that, you know, the, the list is long. And they only pick one a year. So uh, definitely praying that eventually he will get in sooner than later. Uh, this year would be great. Uh uh, but we've been going through this for the last, you know, ever since he retired, I've been pushing and pushing. And like I said, he's, he was a little bit more laid back and very uh, humble in his approach because he always said that, you know, his work speaks for himself. Um, he was, you know, he did it for 15 years and he did it at a high level. And, you know, I hear the argument about, you know, he got 65. And there's so many different arguments and everybody has their favorite. So, I just hope that, uh, you know, the voters see and make the right decision because, again, too, only one bingo. And, you know, we have some we, we got some we have some things here, too. And it's unfortunate that um, they haven't been recognized. But hopefully that will change very soon. Talking to Ken Riley, the second here representing his father's foundation, the Ken Riley uh, Foundation based in Central Florida. Um Obviously, a lot of Bengals fans know Ken Riley, the football player, and just and the impact of his career. Um, it, it just in the memories that you have of watching your father play, how would you describe the football player that he was down to maybe like a sentence or two? Uh, he was um, very a hard worker. Uh, he was a student of the game, and he was just uh, consistent. You know, like I said, to do it for 15 years at that high level. And not only that, he had to make a transition from wide receiver, I mean, sorry, quarterback to defensive back on the highest level. And back then they had about, uh, training camp was like six to seven weeks. And he said the first camp is like 50, um, you know, defensive backs, you know, and just to, to go in and have, that amount of pressure, not only just not never playing that position, but to have so many others and to to make it through that. And uh, like I said, just continue to do it for that, that period of time. Uh, I just have the most respect for him. Um, and I could just never say enough about that. 
One of the aspects that I think a lot of Bengals fans know about your father, but maybe uh, maybe not everybody knows, is that he made a major position switch um, from college to the pros as a as a late round pick, and then made this Hall of Fame caliber career for himself. What what is your when you kind of chatted with your dad about that? Did he ever reflect on that position change and? Um, you know, was he kind of pushed into that? Did he feel that that was necessary in order to make it into into the NFL based on his draft status? I'm just kind of curious a little bit of background on that because I know about it, but I don't really know much of the backstory personally. Yeah, well, like I said, he played for uh, Florida and and also went there. Uh, and Coach Gaither was a, he's a legendary coach in his own right. And he was a pampered quarterback. He said it. He said, you know, he was well taken care of as a quarterback, never played it. But uh, when he got the call and when he got to uh, the camp, um, Coach Brown said, you're moving to, you know, defensive back. And at that point, his whole focus was just making the team. So he was going to – one thing about him, he was very competitive. He might have been quiet off the field, but on the field, he was competitive. And he always, like, if you challenge him, he's going to, you know, take that challenge. And he's going to take it personal. You know, like the Michael Jordan's like, you know, I know it's a meme, like uh, he takes it personal. Uh, he took a lot of things personal, especially when he was challenged. And that's one of the things I really admired about him because he was challenged. He was always able to meet that challenge. And he did it for 15 years. And so he took it as a challenge. And he felt that because um, actually like four of his former high school players made it to the NFL and then as well as uh, some of the college players. And his, his whole attitude was if they can make it, I can make it. So it was always about, you know, pushing himself and accepting challenges. So that was one of the things going into it. He was like, hey, I know I have the talent. I know I have the athletic skills. So if, if they can do it, I can do it. And, uh, you know, just all about proving them wrong. And he did it for 15 years. I, I personally learned about that position change last year when when we all kind of learned more about your father. And I learned about this from you last week talking to you that you also made a position change yourself when in your time as a football player. You started off as a wide receiver and then tra- made the transition to your father's position at cornerback, playing for your father at, at Florida A&M. Do you have a specific memory that comes to mind playing for your dad at his and now your alma mater? Yeah, I mean, it was like I had some other opportunities to uh, attend some other college, but I was I – mean, my father played the same position, so I was like I could get no better – uh, knowledge than playing for him, but it was definitely uh, uh, special, special to play for him. And one of the unique things was is that he was a technician and a student of the game. So I could make a mistake, and he can literally like just right then and correct. Hey, you false step, or they did this. So uh, even though he was a head coach, and we didn't spend a lot of time because he was more focused on the offense, but you know he had come down, and me and the other guy, you know, playing on the other side, he was able to just you know, right then and there, make that adjustment for it. So it was definitely, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, a great opportunity to play for him. And uh, I learned a lot from him. And it continued on, you know, we can be watching television and he was like, look at that. You know, it was like he could just, you know, make a correction and see what they're doing uh, wrong immediately. Talking with Ken Riley II, reminiscing about his his father in Ken the Second's own Great football career as well, uh, celebrating Ken Riley's induction into the Bengals inaugural class of the Ring of Honor, kicking off 2021 Bengals training camp. Going to spend a few more minutes with him. I hope you're okay on time, Ken. Uh, yeah, don't no, take- okay, good. Um, I, I don't know, and this is maybe putting you on the spot a little bit, but 
Did your dad ever tell you any interesting stories about Paul Brown? I always like to, to ask those associated with the Bengals, whether they're players or those very close to the club. I always like to hear about a Paul Brown story because he always seems to be a very enigmatic character, not only in NFL history, but in Bengals history. I don't know if there's a story that comes to mind a little bit that your father maybe talked about, whether it's a funny one or just something that just encapsulates who Paul Brown was. But I think we'd love to hear it if you've got one. Uh, I have a several, uh, but he was like, he was a uh, great, great coach, uh, but uh, he always kept you on the edge. He was like pretty much fearful almost. When he came in, like I said, you you better uh, you better be on your P's and Q's. And one of the things, uh, one quick story, I think I shared it last time was uh, he had been in the league about five years and I guess, guess kind of got kind of comfortable. And uh, it was like during training camp and he walked over to him and said, hey, Hey, you see who I drafted? And he's like, yeah, uh, I drafted him to replace you. And it was a first-round draft pick. And then at that time, he played the right corner. But during this camp, he started switching them right, right in the left side. So, again, my father being the competitor that he was, he was like the next uh, preseason game, he picked off two balls and one for an interception. And then, <laughs> you know, after, you know, the uh, the next week in practice, uh, Coach Brock, Paul Brown came to him and said, now that's what I'm talking about. Now get it back <laughs> over on your side. You know, so it was just like, it, it was just one of those stories. And uh, like I said, tell me your stories about guys like fumbled the ball and got cut at halftime. It's like many stories that, you know, it's like he may have been small in stature, but he was a big man. He was the man around, you know, Cincinnati. He still is to the day. And, uh, but he had so much respect for him. And learned a lot, and I think a lot of things that he learned from Coach Brown, he he instilled in myself as well, just the hard work and um, being prepared and being a professional. So um, definitely a lot of stories. That's just one of many that, but that one there was like, wow, that's that's a lot of pressure, like you know, to be able to do that. But again, he just was able to uh, accept those challenges and just keep moving. That's a great one. Yeah. We had a question from our comments section um, from Jeff Trendenpool, Cincinnati Sports of Strawberry Ice. Um, apparently, y- your dad has has a day named after him in, in your hometown in Florida. Can you can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it was uh, right after the 1981 Super Bowl. Uh, they had a uh, Ken Riley Day, so the city kind of shut down. They had a, a big parade, and they gave him a key to the city. So it was definitely uh, – I remember it. I was about 11 or 12. Uh, great experience uh, for them to do that. I remember riding in the uh, convertible car and, you know, just, you know, so it was pretty cool. I want to, this is another little tidbit of info I came across about your dad. I, you know, I had done some research on him as well and obviously remember him towards the latter days of, of playing in the NFL, but he was, he was a Rhodes Scholar uh, nominee, was he not? Um, Yes. So, I, I think that I, I would think that education uh, was a big part of his life and what he valued. He probably instilled that in you as well. And uh, I think that might be a nice segue to talk about what, what your foundation is doing as well. Uh, of course, uh, that was one of his um, that he took the most pride in. Uh, after he left Green Bay uh, coaching the secondary, he went back to his alma mater as a coach. And one of the things that, like I said, he took most pride in is developing men. Uh, he really had a passion for 
the uh, guys that he coached, and he wanted to develop them not only as athletes, but develop them as men. So, you know, oh, that's at the Golf Classic there. And not only did he love Cincinnati, he really, really loved where he was from, Bartow, Florida. And when he retired and moved back, uh, he set up the uh, Ken Riley Foundation uh, to support, you know, uh, disadvantaged uh, youth. So they still would have the opportunity to, you know, provide scholarships to go to scholarships. And he was big on trades, too, because he also knew that everybody uh, is not built for college, but there is skills that they can learn through that trade program. So he was big on, big on uh, giving those students the opportunity to uh, further their ed education, whether it's uh, a four-year uh, school or developing a trade or learning a trade. And through uh, his foundation, that's one of the things that um, we try to provide for those uh, underprivileged kids. So the Ken Riley Foundation, it, it supports the East Side Positive Action Committee and the Union Ac Academy High School Alumni Association. And both of those organizations pr promote, you know, you know, um, financially uh, struggling children and, and their opportunities in, in post-secondary school. It, fr from your point of view, how has the foundation kind of evolved from the, the original message to kind of where it is today. And can you kind of talk about maybe the growth about what it's doing, not only in Barton, but in all of central Florida? Uh, well, it was just going on the fifth year now that the, the biggest uh, fundraiser that we have is the Ken Raleigh uh, golf classic. Uh, last year was the fourth year. This year would be the fifth year. So we want to even make it even larger. Uh, it has continued to grow. Like I said, the NFL family is like a brotherhood. So we have a lot of the former bingo players and a lot of the former uh, his contemporary players that he played with, and they will come down. And uh, like I said, it was uh, it's it's really been growing. We want to continue to grow it and and make it something where we can, uh, like I said, be proud of and um, and do it in his honor. But th that's just one of the things that we did. And like you had mentioned before, the EPAC Foundation. Um, was something that he took pride in as well. Uh, it was an entire day where they would he would bring in speakers and have games and provide food and games uh, for the uh, the kids in the community. And he was just big on community. He was big on giving back. Uh, had a heart for kids and like I said, making sure that kids may not have that they have certain opportunities, give those opportunities and level the playing field. And uh, because he really wanted uh, that for the community uh, that he lived in. So to those listening, whether you're tuning in live or listening to the show after the fact, this is where your donations are going. We've already raised a few hundred dollars so far this evening alone, and we want to keep that going. Uh, so obviously not only for, from the live listeners, but as you listen to this uh, show on your favorite streamer, go donate and uh, help out this great cause and the others run by players and their families, just such awesome work that you guys are doing. And I assume, Ken, I, I run a, a very small local nonprofit myself, and it actually is educational focused as well in what, what they're trying to do. But 2020 was a very difficult year for us to try and raise funds for, for our foundation. Hopefully it wasn't as difficult for you guys, but that's kind of part of why we, we're doing this just for your own <laughs> FYI, I guess. I know personally how difficult last year was, not only on people in general, but for those who run charities and nonprofits to do these in-person fundraisers. You weren't really able to do that last year, at least not as often. So it's our hope that we can we can make an impact for your, found, your family's foundation, your father's foundation here. 
in in the form of these donations we're receiving. So uh, hopefully we can make an impact for you on that front. But I assume it was probably a bit difficult for you guys last year. Yeah, I mean, it was just it was different. It was the first year without my father, so that made it uh, kind of hard, even harder. But uh, you know, just you know, in general, things were you know the seating and making sure you had the social distance. So uh, it it was different. It was challenged, but we had a great turnout. Uh, actually, we had more players than we've had so far uh, at that golf tournament. This is actually one of the shirts. So um, it's a cool shirt. I like yeah, that. Yeah. So uh, it's definitely uh, it was different, but uh, we. We made it happen. And thanks to you guys, like I said, for uh, having me on the show and, you know, for providing the, the information to for what me, giving me the ability to come out here and speak about the foundation. So I really appreciate that. And you guys are doing a great job and, you know, keep, keep up the great work. Appreciate that. And uh, we all we all miss your father, but we are so happy that he was inducted into the ring of honor. We know that Canton is next, uh, whether it's this year or maybe a little bit further down the road. But he is so deserving of being enshrined in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Before we get you out of here, uh, what what if if you can share, don't feel forced to. But what are your family's plans for the week four celebration that the team is holding for the Ring of Honor, is your whole family coming? Are you going to be uh, there accepting the the honor on behalf, or how's that how's that working out for your family? Yeah, well, uh, yes, I'll definitely be there. One miss, I've never missed the opportunity to come back. I was <laughs> always there with them, so whenever I get a chance, I'm always there. I'm trying to probably try to make a couple games here, actually. But uh, my mother would be there along with my two sisters, my wife, and my two sons. Uh, they were they would be there, and uh, oh. I would. Probably me and my mother will be representing my father. Uh, we couldn't be more excited, and uh, we just look forward to it. it. It's a lot of fans. I hope to meet you guys in person because it's a lot of people Love that it. interact in the podcast and yeah. you know through uh, the social media. But uh, I, I really appreciate it, and my family appreciates the love. And like I said, every time we've come back to Cincinnati, there was so much love, and I continue to see it on social media now that. Uh, it's just, it just overwhelming, and like I said, I can't thank the fans enough. I can't thank you guys enough just for, you know, honoring my father and always showing that support. Uh, like I said, Cincinnati is a second home for us, always will be, and we are always, you know, always with the Bengals and Cincinnati. Wow. We're, we're 100% behind you, your family, and what you guys are doing with your foundation. We just want to help out. And uh, I I don't live in Cincinnati personally. I live in Southern California. I was telling my co-host and some others about that a little bit earlier. But I do plan on making it out to at least one game this year. So if if I do, I uh, would love to meet you, love to meet yeah. your family. I don't know if week four is in the cards for me specifically. But um, that's one on the table of discussion within my household. I don't know yet. But <laughs> I hope to meet you. Thanks so much for your time. John, I don't know if you've got anything else for Ken, but uh, this has been an immense pleasure. You're an awesome guy, and uh, thanks for carrying the torch for your father. Appreciate that. No, thanks yeah, for just having so me. Yeah. What part of California? I mean, what part? Oh, Southern California. I live in Orange County. Okay. Well, I'm, I work for Southwest, actually, and I'm, I'm out there a lot of times. I have a friend that works for uh, mm-hmm. the Chargers. So, you know, okay. I'm, I'm, Let's connect. Yeah, whenever I'm out there, I'll definitely look you up. Yeah, let's connect. John, anything else for Ken before we bounce bounce uh, out of here? Here, 
So just so Ken knows, right now we are up to $330 of total donation money. Again, all proceeds will be donated to Ken's foundation, the Ken Anderson Alliance, and the Anthony Munoz Foundation. Our most recent donations were from $10 from Evan Hill and $10 from the wife of the Iceman himself, Jennifer Trenumpool. So thank you guys for donating to the fund. And again, three great foundations and charities, including Ken Ken Riley's. And thank you so much, Ken, for coming on to to, uh, plug it and promote it. Uh, thanks for having me. That's awesome. Thanks to the fans, man. That 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 is awesome. Uh, and I appreciate you guys, you know, doing it, putting this all together. Yep, no problem. We're 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 gonna get more for you. I promise. We're gonna uh, we're gonna hound these people to get more. <laughs> uh, I appreciate that. We're gonna do it. Thanks for your time. Uh, we'd love to have you back on again sometime in the near future too. Maybe during the season, talk about the Bengals. But uh, thanks again for everything. All right. Thanks for having me, guys. Y'all take care. All right. Take it easy. That was Ken Riley the second. Uh, really, I, I, that's my first time chatting with him. That was that was a pleasure. That dude. That I want to hang out with that guy. That guy uh, has got a real awesome demeanor about himself, and uh, I hope he does hit me up when he's in California. That was that was a lot of fun, man. That was a lot of fun. We've never had a bad Ken come on the show. <laughs> We're undefeated with Ken guests. That is true. That is true. The the Kens reign supreme. And, uh, you know, I, just really, really cool how he is taking up the mantle for, for his father. I'm sure it's still difficult for him emotionally to talk about his father in the past tense and whatnot, but uh, very, very cool. And um, what his father was able to do on the football field, off the football field, all of that. I kind of liken him a little bit to the, the Bengals version of, remember the old Dos Equis most interesting man in the world. Ken Riley's kind of that kind of like Dehani Jones in the same way. They kind of did a lot of different things. The road scholar ring of honor. I mean, it's just really, really cool. Switched positions, all that very, very cool. And uh, we were privileged enough to speak to, to Ken Riley the second. Hopefully it's not the last time and we can get him on again soon, John. That was, um, that was fun. We've got a little bit more on tap. It's been, uh, we're an hour and a half in, but we had two amazing interviews we're hoping to connect with Anthony Munoz, the other third player in the Ring of Honor. Uh, if not tonight, then perhaps in the next couple of days, we're working on on connecting with him. But uh, been an awesome, awesome night. We are in need of other donations, though, folks. We want to make this a very sizable impact on these three charities. We are very appreciative of the donations that we have received so far, but. If you are listening to the show after the fact, if you are watching the show after the fact, and maybe you didn't get the link, you can find it in the Cincy Jungle post where you usually find our podcast promoted on the page. Um, It's on John's Twitter account. It's on the Bengals OBI Twitter account. I think it's on my Twitter account. So if you follow any of those, um, and then if you want to go back and look at the live chats there, they're all there for you. And then, of course, those of you who are tuning in live, we've put that in there a couple of different times. We'll continue to do so, but we want... We want these people to say, wow, what what was done tonight, this week, this weekend, all of that is very cool and is impactful. But uh, we appreciate what you've done so far. We've got prizes that we will be giving out to donors. Um, so we will and we will be in touch with those of you who have uh, donated. By the way, if you have donated and you did not submit any kind of personal contact information, please get in touch with us to do that. And send proof of your, I mean, we can we can see who's on GoFundMe, but please send us proof so we can get you 
prizes should you win some of this stuff. We want to we want to send this stuff out to you. So um, if we do not have contact information from you and you donated, please send that our way. And of course, you can get this show on YouTube. Go subscribe to our channel. Turn on notifications so you know when we go live. You know when new content's available. Go check that out. And then get the show on your favorite audio streamer, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, Spotify, any of that stuff. We're all there. Whew. John, uh, thank you. Thank you. Where, <laughs> do we, where do we go next, my friend? We were talking a little bit of training camp acquisitions. I think there's a little more to get to. Then we'll do a little positional preview and then maybe get out of here so we give the folks a little bit of everything. What do you think about that? Yeah, well, let's, let's dive into it. Okay. Uh, today, let's just kind of go through some sights and sounds today. Jamar Chase was putting on a show. By, by a lot of indications. Um, I, I James Rapine of All Bengals in the Locked On Bengals podcast has some media out there. Ben Baby saying uh, that Joe Burrow was a perfect, um, I can't remember if it was 747 or 7-on-7 seven seven drills. Regardless, he hit Jamar Chase in, uh, you know, on this sideline highlight grab. Um, so the offense is clicking, man. And I, I think we, we knew that that was going to be the case and they would probably be ahead of the game in terms of them versus defense, but they seem to be early on already showing off a bit. Yeah. Let's just right now, let's tally off the, tr- the classic training camp trope headlines <laughs> based off of like the first week or two of training camp. So obviously the first couple practices it's in shorts, it's in shirts. There's no pads. There's no contact. The offense looks great. The receivers are nice. They're talented. They're making flashy catches. The quarterbacks are accurate. It's all fun games. It's all cotton candy and rainbows. Then the pads come on, and all of a sudden, oh, my God, the defensive line is eating. Is this offensive line have issues? This defense <laughs> line is going to get 50 sacks this year. So right now we're on phase one of the offense, and the passing game looks great. But with that said, I do remember back in 2011, like, and even I think some former players now can attest to this, like AJ Green just walked onto the field and you knew that he was just that guy. And he was kind of on the older side for a rookie. I think he was like 23 when he was a rookie. I think he like turned 23 on the first day of training camp or something like that. But he was just locked in. He he looked the part of like a five, 10-year vet. He knew where to be in his spots. He knew where to be in his routes. And he didn't drop a single pass. He became that immediate alpha number one. And I think Jamar Chase is on that path right now. Like the guy just, he, he gets it in a way that I don't think a lot of people expect it. I know that Zach Taylor and Joe Burrow have both said this about the underrated aspect of his game. He is so much smarter than people realize from a football IQ standpoint. Like the guy, like he dives into the playbook. He's, he's just knowledgeable about what he needs to do. There's never going to be a point where, where Joe needs to tell him where to be, what the play is and what his route needs to be. Like he knows where to get to his spots and the athletic progression that he's taken from 2019 to all the way to two years later now, it's on display. And I don't know if there's anyone in the Cincinnati secondary, including Jesse Bates, that can stop him in these practices. They all look really, really good. Uh, we, we've talked, we've gushed about T. Higgins a lot. Tyler Boyd looking good. Joe Burrow looking good. And, you know, it, it's it's about health at this point for that group. And it's about just getting a little bit more snaps together um, based on no preseason last year and Joe Burrow being injured late last year. So, I, I mean, but to your point, one thing I did note, um, our, our buddy Bengal Sons, Mike, 
Uh, I saw something on his Twitter account talking about maybe some some needed work to be done by Chase in terms of route running. I don't I don't know if and of course he was going back to some things in college. I don't know if that is still kind of something that uh, is a work in progress. But I mean, as of now, it appears that from what I can tell, from what I hear that Chase is just letting the athleticism and raw ability take over, regardless of what the route running is or isn't at this point in time. He's making outstanding catches. There was a, a tweet deleted by the Bengals media yesterday, a one-hander that he made down the sideline. More great highlight catches. And, John, um, this, this, is, this is becoming very exciting. If you weren't excited about the pick, then you better start being excited about it now. Well, why did they delete that tweet? I don't know. It disappeared. At least, at least it did for me. I don't. I don't know why huh. they did. Uh, well, if you happen to see it, uh, you, I guess you're lucky because it was quite spectacular. But I mean, I, I feel like we talked about this with Burrow. Like his his way of of just attacking the game and his recovery. It's it, it's infectious and it's it's contagious. I guess and other people, other players resonate with that. I think there's a similar effect with Chase. Like this is a 21 year old rookie just coming in and he's just assuming the role to be like the the, the new AJ Green, the new number one receiver in this offense. And it's like other receivers are trying to step up and match that effectiveness and that, and that intensity, I guess. And there's for all the talk we've had about chase, there's been equal amounts of talk with T Higgins and the way that he re- kind of redid his body and improved on his game. And apparently he was making some physical contested catches and the limited opportunities that there are physical contested catches in the first day of training camp. I think Auden Tate had like an impressive catch. He is, he's accustomed to doing in training camp so it's, it's these receivers like they're all working together the same team and whatnot but they're kind of battling to see like who you know like whenever they get their time whenever they get their reps they're going to try to prove that this is one of the most talented receiving groups ever and that guy next to me he's not going to top me i'm going to top him on this next rep it's just a constant competition and battle of, of everyone kind of getting better and that's the beauty of having strength in, in these position groups like you, you know that not only if one guy goes down the next guy is going to be able to pick up but no matter how deep you go, you're, you're going to have talent. You're going to have guys that you can rely on in, in these situations. So from Chase to Higgins to Tate, we didn't even mention Tyler Boyd. I'm assuming he was doing his work today as well. So the list kind of goes on with this position group of guys just just excelling in these areas. And I was, as I mentioned earlier, I was on a show with the Orange Arrow, his new fantasy football show that he's kicking off there, did kind of a mock draft, and we were talking about, you know, the Bengals receivers. And I kind of said for, from a fantasy football perspective, there may be even a time where if you're battling injuries or it's late in the season, the waiver wire is low on your fantasy football league. I mean, there may be a time where you pick up an odd and Tate and he helps carry you uh, in a given way. I mean, there, there are four or five receivers deep and then they just added uh, the Reese kid to their, to their roster. So, I mean, they're, Riley Lees was just reactivated off the pup list. So they're, I mean, they're adding more talent to that group. And I think quickly, we've had a long show, but I think quickly that is a good segue for our positional preview uh, this week, because we're talking all kinds of different, uh, you know, wide receivers, different, you know, different players, how they fit in here. But uh, I think wide receivers is where we should go this week, John. Um, Look, I, I feel in some way, sometimes I feel like when we talk about this group, I'm like, are we overvaluing these guys? Are we overblowing what the production could be this year? But you look at you look at the, the track record of a Tyler Boyd, a guy who has flirted with or surpassed a thousand yards really in the last three or four seasons, right? You you look at 
T. Higgins basically would have had probably a 1,000-yard receiving year last year if, if he didn't get hurt in that final game. Um, and then Chase looks every bit of the part of, of a superstar in the making. Um, and those are just the top three guys here. So I'll, I'll pull up the roster here, but kind of a mile-high view a little bit of the position group. Um, first impressions. Like pe- people have started to rank like receiving groups in the NFL. I, I know Zim or on Zim Hootie was kind of spearheading that debate as, as to why this unit deserves to be top five, but just raw talent, man. Like there, there is, there are, there are no more than like three or four teams with a better starting trio. Like I know that there are some teams with maybe a better top two combination, like the Buccaneers come to mind with Evans and, and Godwin, but in terms of like just like for a team that starts three receivers, just the two outside in the, in the slot, like there are no more than like three or four teams that can compete with this team in terms of just raw overall talent and already proven production. Because if Higgins like stays healthy and plays the entire year, he eclipses a thousand yards. Tyler Boyd, if not the best slot receiver in the game, is the, definitely the most underrated slot receiver in the game. And there's no reason to doubt that Jamar Chase is every bit as good as we believe that he is. There, in terms of just youth. And overall ability, like you would take this group over ninety-five percent of the others, and then you look at the rest of, of the position, the rest of the depth. It's not great, but no team is 10, 11 receivers deep. In terms of just the receivers that they're going to keep, I think Auden Tate is absolutely perfect as your fourth receiver. Mike Thomas is just fine as your fifth or sixth, and then you have a guy like Trent Taylor to potentially round it out. That's going to be really the, the thing to watch this preseason, like how many opportunities are the Trent Taylors, the Mike Thomases, the Stanley Morganses, the Scotty Washingtons, how much are they going to get? Because some of these guys haven't played in a preseason at all or haven't played in a preseason in, in now a year. So their opportunities were limited over the last year or so. But how is this position group going to round under these star talented trios? Because in the regular season, they're not going to get that many opportunities. You, you have to think that, you know, in terms of just wide receiver targets, Chase, Boyd, and Higgins, they're going to get 90, 85% of them, and then the rest is going to Tate and maybe one or two others. But, like, in terms of how this position group is going to fill out is going to be what training camp and the preseason is about because it seems like Tate is guaranteed a spot as a reserve. Trent Taylor likely makes it just because he's a pump returner and, like, he, he was singled out by Darren Simmons. And then it really comes down to who's going to be that sixth guy who's mainly a, like a special teamer. So it could be coming down to either Stanley Morgan – Mike Thomas, or maybe Scotty Washington proves enough as a receiver to make it. Scotty Washington's the guy that uh, I was really interested in last year as an undrafted player. He's got good size and good speed, but seems to not have uh, clicked enough for him to to hang on to a spot. But, I mean, you can see I was fiddling around with the screen, just the amount of players, depth, and talent that they have at this position group. I'm trying to fill it so everybody can kind of see it if you're watching the video feed here. But um, one guy that that isn't talked about a lot because we we bring in Auden Tate and then we talk about the the top three guys a lot, but uh, Mike Thomas. I know you mentioned his name a little bit, but Mike Thomas is a guy that Zach Taylor likes. He was a Rams player. He's familiar with the system, and Zach Taylor trusts him. He had a couple of nice moments last year, a couple of other moments where you go, oh, boy. But, um, you know, he's a guy that probably will be in the quietly in the mix for things and maybe even for playing time like he was last year. So Mike Thomas is a guy that uh, you got to kind of look out for. And then – you know, the whole the whole scrum for special teams, who's going to make it there? 
Uh, and then, of course, preseason heroes. This is always the position group, John, where a player, two players, whatever, that are undrafted guys, guys off the street, knock around guys, they come in and they become the preseason hero. I, you know, I, I assume because of history that that's probably going to, to happen again. I would not be surprised if uh, Trent Taylor is a guy that ends up kind of raising some eyebrows. He's had some good uh, applause or praise from former players that he has played with. I think Richard Sherman was one of them that, that was really high on him. But uh, I mean, this there's a lot of tough decisions to be made here. And I think one of the toughest ones, because Mike Thomas, like he was playing legit receiver snaps last year, which is not ideal, especially early in the season when he was. But, you know, if you need a guy to to come in every now and then and give you like 15 routes a game, I I think he's fine with that. Like me and Joe Goodberry, we were big fans of him coming out of college back in 2016 because of he was making these spectacular catches down to Southern Miss and he was testing pretty well and he was productive and there was no reason why he couldn't eventually carve out a role for himself. And I think he's done exactly that five or six years in, into his career. The The biggest question, though, because we talked about this guy ever since he signed as a college free agent and what his role is going to be Puka Williams. Like, I, I, I don't remember if we if we talked about running backs just yet, but again, the guy is my size. He's 5'9", 170, 175 pounds. There are not a lot of running backs in the NFL who can make it at that size. But, you know, that is the size of a guy who can potentially compete and contribute as a gadget slot receiver type player. How much does Puka Williams have to do? How much does he have to impress to actually make this roster? Like, do they keep seven, including Puka? Do they list him as a running back so they only technically keep six? I I think that him and how many reps and opportunities he gets in preseason could potentially impact the dynamic of this position group as a whole. I think someone in the comments section said that Puka is listed as a receiver on the team's website. I, I don't think that's necessarily true. Um, I think he's still listed as a running back here, but we haven't really seen what he's going to be doing with this offense in training camp yet. Like there's still plenty of ways to go before we kind of get an idea of that, but you know, just what he does as like a, a flex all purpose type player, obviously he might have to make an impact on special teams and as a return man, but I think in terms of just building the roster in general and just having the most impactful guys be your active 46, Puka could change how this position group is is constructed and really how the entire offense in terms of running backs and receivers, how many they keep. He could be the X factor with that. He's listed as uh, a running back. I think the others are listed as a halfback. I'll have to double check on that there. But he is listed as a running back. That is a fantastic point that you bring up, though, about Puka Williams and – Chris Evans. I mean, these are guys that they're going to use. Uh, they've talked about using these guys in kind of these hybrid roles, the, the Antonio Gibson type of roles where, yeah, you'll probably get some looks as a running back, maybe in kick returns. I think Puka Williams, uh, they were intrigued by that in the spring. Uh, and then, of course, a, a wide receiver is a slot slot guy. It's interesting to me that, they, in a way, they moved on from Geo. They just probably wanted to sh- shave some contract numbers and then of course you know maybe get a little younger there but uh, they're going to do theoretically they're going to do some of the things that you would have thought would have been utilized more with geo in terms of putting these guys in the slot 
maybe even splitting them out wide, but these these running backs that they brought in this year in the late rounds of the draft and or undrafted Chris Evans and Puka Williams, they're, they may play into that that hybrid type of role and get looks as wide receivers more often than we think. And I don't want to like rain on the the Puka hype train because I know he's already like a fan favorite for what he did in college and what his potential is. But if he is to say get you know five to ten snaps a game when the regular season happens and he gets those minimal opportunities, he needs a perfect preseason. Like there's no way a guy who came in undrafted and is the, at the bottom of the depth chart, there's no way that he can you know miss his spots or not be in the right place or make silly drops. And expect to be a contributor in the regular season because again the depth of this position group at both receiver and running back it's it's monumental and there's right now there's not enough room for Puka Williams to make the team he has to prove he is the weapon that he is the, the this team the media in itself have talked about how much more explosive this team is and I think Puka the addition of him can make this team even more explosive than they even are on paper it adds that extra dimension that we haven't really seen since really. Andrew Hawkins, I guess, is like the closest natural comparison I can think of. And Hawkins didn't get a ton of looks in the regular season, but when he touched the ball, he made things happen. He was a difference maker in his own right, and then he went on to be someone of that with the Cleveland Browns. So there is a chance for Puka to be that, but it has to come first on special teams. It has to come with him not making mistakes and just making the most of his opportunities. The the Bengals will have some tough decisions to make here, as we said, John. Um, you know, I think – I think we're probably looking at six wide receivers and then maybe they go heavy at a quote unquote running back or halfback in the form of an Evans and or a Puka Williams. They, they may try and, you know, maximize roster spots the best they can there. But uh, I mean, are you seeing six? Are you seeing seven? Um, you had roster predictions, an early roster prediction that came out, uh, I believe. So I would like to share that as well. Um, and I will do that. But your thoughts on the wide receiver position, how many they will and or should keep going into this, this season? So say, I, mean, I guess we'll mention to me, say Puka makes the team as a running back. That's four running backs. And that, with that case, I think six is the number of receivers. I, I think there is a chance that it could be seven w- when you keep both Mike Thomas and Stanley Morgan. I believe that those guys are probably six and seven respectively with like maybe Trent Taylor acting as like the fifth guy, just because he gets um, the lock, I guess, for being a pump returner. But I, I think six or seven is is probably the number with probably leaning more towards six. It's just like you're looking at – you have to look at other positions too. You're looking at at least probably 10 offensive linemen, 10 defensive linemen. You're going to have to go short at like quarterback and maybe even running back. Like having depth of receiver is great, but when you have these guys – when you have Chase, Boyd, and Higgins – you're not taking them off the field that much, right? You don't want to make your offense worse. You want to give them some rest from time to time, but there's not going to be a ton of rotation at this position, not like last year, right? Because Higgins didn't start the season as a starter. He kind of rotated in when John Ross was not really performing well, and then he overtook Ross as a starter as the season went on. But now, like, these guys are entrenched. Like, really, the question with them is, like, how does this offense act in terms of divvying out roles for these guys? How in, how interchangeable are they from an alignment standpoint? Is Chase always going to be at the X on the line of scrimmage? Is Higgins always going to be the flanker? Or are they rotating out from different sides of, of the formation? How often does Boyd go out of the slot? Maybe you put in Chase a little bit more. You're not taking those guys off the field. You're playing 11 personnel 80 85% of the time. 
And you're not really going to see a ton of Auden Tate and, and Taylor and Mike Thomas anyways, those guys who we think are going to make the roster right now. So it, it like from a talent perspective, yeah, like Stanley Morgan or Scotty Washington or even Trent Irwin, who's been with the team now for two years. Yeah, they could be talented enough to round up the position group, but I don't think there's that big of a need to keep seven when you're really confident in your three guys if they stay healthy. Yeah, and you've got here in your roster projection training camp edition on CincyJungle.com, you've got them keeping four running backs, Mixon, P. Ryan, Evans, and Puka. Um, so you have Travion Williams out of the, the picture there, and then they go they go a tiny bit lighter with six wide receivers, Chase Higgins, Boyd, Tate, Taylor, Mike Thomas. You don't have Stanley Morgan in there, and I assume that that is because of what we've just been discussing the past few minutes with Evans and Puka Williams. Right. So again, seven is a number that we've seen in the past, but every year is different, right? And it, and no one ever really gets the roster projection 100% accurate. That's that's a very rare thing to do, especially a month out into the season. Injuries impact that, just people performing well in training camp and preseason, that impacts that. So there's a lot of stuff that we don't know, but I think we have a pretty good idea about who has a good chance of making it. And right now, it seems like six is right in that sweet spot. Well, Again, it's probably like the seventh time I've said it so far, but tough decisions to be made here by the Cincinnati Bengals with this group. And they do, like like other positions, they do appear to be better equipped to handle injuries, at least those in the summer uh, at, at this position than they maybe have been and or in effectiveness. They've got a, a pretty full stable and they've got some flexibility with guys at the running back position. So it, I, I'm kind of on par with you there in terms of the four running backs and two of those being those multiversatile running backs in Puka Williams and Chris Evans, and then maybe going a little lighter at wide receiver uh, and keeping a lot of the names that we assume are going to be there. Trent Taylor, obviously, kind of being the new face there as a special teams guy. So um, any anything else to wrap a bow on the positional preview before we start heading out of here on this long, long show? It would be special to see the top three guys all eclipse a 1,000 yards. But if it doesn't happen, I think there's more than enough potential for this offense to still be successful. I I, I really question about what expectations should be with this group, at least in year one with with, with with Chase's rookie and Higgins in his second year. But, I mean, we talked about, you know, how they're going to rack up in terms of production, in terms of who's going to be on top of who. But we are really – I think we're really going to find out a lot about who they are in the preseason, even with Brandon Allen at quarterback. I think for the most part um, we'll, we'll, we'll see the roles kind of laid out for what they are in the drives that they're in. And, again, it's going to be fun to see guys like Morgan, Irwin, Washington – compete for reps in, in preseason again like that's something that we missed last year and it's something that I kind of miss watching you know like the preseason isn't that exciting from like an overall quality of football perspective but it is nice to see those bottom of the roster guys compete and re- really make a statement for themselves who can be this year's Damian Willis I guess if you will we're really focused in and enamored with three 1,000 yard wide receivers and 10 touchdowns plus a piece and all of that you have to remember CJ Uzama's back Drew Sample is still going to be part of this offense. We don't know about Thad Moss and if he makes the team and the rapport that's already built there with Joe Burrow, the two receiving running backs, Joe Mixon being a part of the passing game. There's going to be a lot of targets to be spread around beyond those three guys. Those three guys will be the focal point, no doubt about it, and they will get a lot of production statistics, et cetera. But there are a lot of other factors involved in this, and and, and it's a good problem to have. Spread the ball around. Spread the ball around. It, that part of the problem that the Bengals have had 
in their offense, aside from offensive line issues, has been a bit of predictability. And by the way, that is tied to offensive line issues being a little too predictable. And now that they've got a lot of different weapons, a lot of young weapons, their uh, that predictability factor is it goes out the window. John, before we get out of here, I, I do. Even though he didn't make the appearance tonight, we're still going to hopefully get him on the show. Um, in the near future, did want to highlight the Munoz Foundation. They do a, a number of different things in the greater Cincinnati area, providing scholarships and youth leadership seminars and all kinds of really cool different things. I'm not doing it justice as Mr. Munoz would, but um, they are attempting to impact the youth of the greater Cincinnati area. They do a lot of great work. And of course, no, there's no coincidence i'd have to look if ken riley won the award as well but muñoz was a walter payton man of the year uh, award winner when in his time in the nfl i don't think it was called the walter payton man of the year award when ken anderson won it but he was the nfl man of the year as he mentioned earlier um these are these are guys who are excellent on the football field and are doing excellent things off the field and your donations will also help the muñoz foundation that you that you sent to us tonight that you continue to send through uh, to us throughout the week if you weren't able to join us live but uh it's one of the three foundations that we're supporting just in terms of like obviously muñoz riley and anderson they're three of the greatest Bengals of all time but in terms of just being overall ambassadors for the organization and the community. There's probably not three better former players that you can possibly think of. And I'd like to think that that was part of why season ticket holders voted in Riley and Anderson, along with the obvious hall of fame discussion. And unfortunately um, Riley's unfortunate passing last year, but in, in terms of just representing the community of Cincinnati and just their life after their time playing with, with the team, I think that is an aspect that, needs to be highlighted as the future of the ring of honor unfolds. It's not just how these guys did when they played, but how they composed and represented themselves and re really just being a member of the Cincinnati community. Like Mino's, you know, he's a Southern California guy, like, like Anthony knows he went to USC, but his foundation benefits the greater Cincinnati area and, and, and the, those children struggling with mental and physical issues and, and really supports them and the, their future. So you know, for him, obviously, you know, Muniz does work with the Bengals and the preseason um, broadcasting duties. He, he's all over, you know, local commercials as well. He's well known in the community, but for, but for him to really base his foundation in the city of Cincinnati, it means a lot for a native Cincinnatian like myself. And obviously with Ken Anderson, like I live in Norwood, which is a suburb of Cincinnati, and his alliance is actually just five minutes up the road in Silverton. I actually passed it a couple weeks ago to get a look at the Just Brew Coffee Shop and the, the headquarters of the Ken Anderson Alliance. So as a special place in terms of, you know, where, where I grew up, where my dad grew up, he grew up just down the street from that as well and where I live now. So you know, very personal connections to some of these things. And again, just really what it means to, you know, represent the city of Cincinnati and really represent themselves as former Bengals. It's been a pleasure. Uh, I think we've had maybe a couple of draft episodes that have gone this long. Um, definitely not a, a, a true podcast episode that have gone gone this long, but this has been an absolute pleasure. Um, not only chatting football with you, John, but uh, having our guests that we had on, um, we, we were able to kind of cover a lot of different fields. Like, I, and I now kind of am like, man, how do those how do those guys do those three or four hour radio shows all the time? <laughs> like, oh man. 
Um, but it's been a it's been a pleasure. This has been easily one of my favorite episodes that we have done based on the guests and what we talked about, the excitement around training camp, and the fact that we're trying to you know get some money for these great causes and and we're getting some responses from our listeners. So um, I, this has been this has been cool, man. Yeah, and and just an update. Uh, we're still at $330 in terms of total donation. Again, 100% of those proceeds are going to go to the Anthony Munoz Fund Foundation, the Ken Rowley Foundation, and the Ken Anderson Alliance. I think we're going to keep the GoFundMe open for an undetermined amount of time just to see how close we can get to that unofficial goal of $2,021. But all I know is that at least tonight, you guys did not want to see me drink hot sauce. So I guess my throat thanks you, but honestly, I wanted to do it for the charity, but we'll see how close we can get in, in the near future. Well, thanks for uh, doing all kinds of different things to help set this, set this up, John. It's been, it's been fun. And thanks to those who tuned in live. Thanks to all of you who donated our thanks to Ken Riley, the second and Ken Anderson for joining us on the program. It's been uh, a lot of fun and we hope to have Anthony Munoz on pretty soon here. We'll, we'll keep working on that. We're going to do some listener questions live if our vocal cords allow us later this week. So uh, keep it to that. Cue up some questions. Feel like it's a good time to do that. Even with the long episode, feel like it's a good time to do that with training camp kicking off. John, anything else before we hop on out of here, my friend? No, this was, again, just echoing those sentiments. A lot of fun to do. A lot of fun. We, we, I don't think we've ever done two interviews in one show. So that was that was a new thing for me um, personally, but yeah, my jaw hurts a little bit. I don't know, about, I don't know about you, but like I, I felt it when we were talking to to Ken the second. Like I feel like my jaw is kind of like locked into place. But you know, this was a lot of fun and definitely something new. And again, hopefully we can get some more donations in the coming days. Yeah, thanks everybody. Appreciate it. And again, thanks to the Kens. Congratulations to all of the members of the Bengals 2021 inaugural Ring of Honor class. We'll be back with some listener questions and a lot of other coverage on this show on cincyjungle.com. Go check out symbol simbull.app backslash OBI. And while you're at it, go subscribe to all of our all of our channels, not only for our podcast on the audio side. You can also get Orange is the New Black. Great interview by Zim and Ace with Dr. David Chow this week, who's also known as the Football Doc. Go check that out. Very insightful. And, of course, all the Chalk Talk episodes. For John Sheeran, I'm Anthony Cazenza. This has been Training Camp Kickoff, Charity Fest on the Orange and Black Insider. Have a great rest of your week, and we will be talking to you soon. Thanks, everybody.